At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Chris, what's going on today? Hey, Merger Monday, Spencer. That's what's going on. Oh, uh, man. I, I didn't fact check this, but this is coming from uh, Julian Klamachko, a well-known expert for SPACs and also M&A. He said that today is actually the record for the most deals announced in terms of M&A ever. Um, so we not only got some big M&A deals, but also four SPAC deals announced this morning. Um, to go with last wow. week's busy week, right? We had 11 deals announced last week. One merger called off, and we do have seven votes this week, two um, in the shortened holiday week. So a lot of things going on out there. So before our interview today, let's get into today's deals. Um, I'll try to get through these quickly. I, I know we've got a busy, busy show today. So up first, we have FTHX. This is a merger with Mondi which is a technology-first travel marketplace, a portfolio of globally recognized brands. Uh, this is a $1 billion value deal. They had compounded annual net revenue growth of 41% from 2015 to 2019, said that they have that proven business model, historical profitability. That's something we always love to see. 5% of the private airfare market in North America in terms of market share and a distribution network of 50,000 leisure travel agents. So their programs are Trip Pro, uh, Rocket Trip, and Trip Planet. Um, so doing you know a couple different travel sector areas specifically focused on the North American private airfare market. Uh, you know, Spencer AB, this follows several deals that we've gotten in the SPAC space for uh, travel industry. Yeah. Of course, post-pandemic, you know, we'd like to think that we are fully there. Um, but, you know, these travel deals possibly happening, um, you know, at a unfortunate time uh, that's, you know, going on with the travel industry now. Yeah, the timing really is interesting because it's either really good or really bad, depending on your point of view, probably. Definitely. Yeah. And then deal number two today, we have LNFA. Uh, merging with Zero Fox. This is a cybersecurity software as a service enterprise valued at $1.4 billion. As part of the transaction, Zero Fox also acquiring IDX, which is a leading digital privacy protection and data breach response service company. Customers in over 50 countries, including some blue chip names. Um, they have proven capabilities to mitigate cyber threats across multiple industries, public and private sectors. So they serve over 2,000 customers, including five of the Fortune 
top 10 and the largest companies in media, technology, retail, and energy, and 90% of their revenue will be recurring platform subscriptions. So uh, you love we to have, see that. You love, love the recurring revenue. Cybersecurity and software as a service. I mean, uh, uh, this one definitely caught my eye. And Spencer, you said it. We love the recurring revenue model. Um, you know, what do you guys think? Cybersecurity seemed to be a, a hot sector in 2021. You think that growth continues going forward? Most likely. Wait, can you repeat again who their who their client base is? I don't have that in front of me. Okay. I didn't dig into the presentation, but it said five of the top 10 Fortune 10 companies. So when you think the largest companies in the world, um, they work with some of them. Got it. All right. Yeah. I mean, cybersecurity, I, I own uh, the CIBR ETF. I've got cybersecurity. I think everyone should probably have some cybersecurity in their portfolio, whether it's this or another one. Uh, so, yeah, I'm long-term bullish to space. But I, I don't know anything about the company besides what Chris just said. So Definitely. And then deal number three, we have DYNS merging with Senti Biosciences, a gene circuit company. So engineered cell and gene therapies, $601 million equity value. The thing that obviously stands out on this is that they're getting investments from ARC Investment, ARC Funds, uh, Morgan Stanley, uh, Amgen Ventures, uh, so and T Rowe Price, so some bigger names involved nice. in the pipe and some uh, additional financing. Uh, this is a you know pre-revenue company. They expect to file some IND filings for their lead product candidates in 2023. So we're a couple of years away from really getting into this company, but obviously it sounds like Arc Funds is going to carry some shares. I would guess in Arc G um, once this deal is done. And then let's just do the, we have one more. Let's do it real quick. One more. We, we, so then yeah. last deal announced this morning, we have GLAQ merging with Forific. This is an African agribusiness company valued at $300 million. It will be the first Moroccan-based company to list on a U.S. exchange. 250,000 tons of storage capacity, seven production units, and 2,200 tons per day of crushing capacity. Uh, distribution across 45 countries. That's the key for me, right? We all know that, you know, the population is growing in Africa. They need more food. And here's a company working with 45 countries in the region and can hopefully, uh, you know, make things better for the population there. I didn't know this company prior to today's deal. But as I said, the first Moroccan company that will ever be listed on a U.S. exchange. Damn. All right. Now, got to add that to the list of companies. I'm sure this will be added to the uh, the Africa, or there actually there are several Africa ETFs that track sure. uh, the African market. Um, so I'm always interested in like super emerging uh, market companies. Like Africa is, uh, or Morocco, like super emerging market. So um, I'm gonna have to keep an eye on this one. Okay, uh, I, I see our guest here, um, Richard. I think we're gonna just roll with it if that's cool with you. I see, I see Richard here. I see Nicolo here. Chris, why don't you give us a primer? Who, who are we bringing on right now? Yeah, guys, I'm super excited. This is a company I've been following for a long time. We are joined today by Richard Schwartz, the president, CEO, and co-founder of Rush Street Interactive. That's ticker RSI, and Nicolo Damasi, the CEO of DMY Technology Group. 
which took Rush Street public via SPAC merger, and he is also a member of the Rush Street Board of Directors. Richard Niccolo, welcome to Benzinga Live. Great to be here as always. I can hear. Richard, can you hear us? Oh, no. Uh-oh. Richard, okay. Richard I can hear you fine. We can hear you. All right, this is what we'll do. We, we got our producers in the background. Producers, can you please send a Richard a Tesla link? Can you hear me? There yes. we go. Yes, can you hear Can you hear us? I can okay. do it. We're yes. great. Awesome. Yes, good to go. I, I didn't know Richard that you're a, Richard's a concert pianist, it looks like. I didn't even know that about you, Richard. Love the background. Love the background. Hidden skills. <laughs> is that a real or a virtual background? <laughs> it's real. Okay, just check it. I had to check. Awesome. Well, I'm so excited to have you both on. Niccolo, of course, we've had you on several Benzinga programs before. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Rush Street Interactive, well-known sports betting and iGaming company. So, Richard, let, let's start with you. You guys recently reported your quarterly earnings. What were the biggest takeaways in that quarterly earnings report that investors should be paying attention to? Thank you, Wolf. Good morning, everybody. Uh, yeah, first of all, I think it's just the story we have is really compelling since we went public last December. We've hit our, we had a beat and raise every quarter. And in Q3, it was a tremendous uh, beat in terms of growth on the revenue side, but also we lost a lot less than the market expected. We've also had sequential growth quarter after quarter after quarter throughout the year, which is in contrast to some other public companies in our space that really had a, you know, struggled a little bit more during the slower Q2, Q3 uh, calendars with sports events being a little little smaller in terms of volume. So I think our consistency and our growth and the excitement of where this business is going as new markets open up for us in the new year is really where, why we're so excited about the company. Perfect. And Nicolo, same question to you, you know, quarterly earnings, you of course, is something you've gone through with several companies before. What were the big highlights from that quarterly earnings report for you? Well, look, I have a soft spot for uh, for Richard and RSI. It's my it's my first uh, IPO, obviously, and uh, it's it's a business that is closest to what I used to run when I was uh, operating public companies. You know, Blue Mobile. So, you know, Richard is, I think, frankly, the most talented. Uh, I say I'd say leader in the space when you think about the product and engineering stack that he's built. Uh, what attracted me to the business, you know, originally was the fact that they're effectively operating a company much like a social casino, uh, free-to-play gaming business, but they're doing it in the regulated space and they're getting into markets faster than anybody and frankly, everybody. Um, it really is remarkable what, you know, what strikes me every single earnings call is their payback periods. Every single quarter, they've got the fastest payback period on marketing spend. And that's been consistent since, you know, we announced the, the pipe through to the close, through to the, we're coming up on the one year anniversary here of, uh, of RSI as a public company. And, Richard just has an amazing ability uh, to know exactly how to drive the company's product engineering stack to update his games faster than anybody else, uh, get those returns, get that operating leverage, uh, and get into new markets faster than anybody else. And uh, I, th I think he's a one of a kind, frankly, on, on all those metrics. Well, just thank you for those kind words, but I have to just let you know, I mean, our team is extraordinarily talented and we have a really incredible leadership team, all with 10 plus years of experience in the gaming industry. You couldn't find a talent that we have really anywhere in the U.S. market because online gaming hasn't been legal that long. So we have a very seasoned, experienced, tr tremendous development organization that really drives 
a lot of the records and, and space and quality and innovation that we do in our, in our engineering side. So I want to make sure they get the credit they deserve. Perfect. Richard, thanks for that. You know, we heard Niccolo mention tech stack a couple times. You know, I'm familiar with that term. I've covered the sports betting and iGaming industry. I've bet on some sports myself. But for viewers out there who aren't familiar with tech stack, what exactly is that? And how does that make Rush Street maybe more competitive in the industry than some of the competition out there that has to partner with other companies? Sure. Well, long term in our industry, the most important things are retention of your players. Acquisition is important. It's great. But really, it's retention. Conversion of players from registering to make it a first time deposit. And from making a first time deposit, how long are they staying active with you throughout the life cycle? How do you manage that experience so that you keep them playing and engaged at a high level for a long time? And how we do that is through our tech. We own it in-house. We have our own engineering organization. And we're nimble, we're innovative. We come up with a great idea. We don't have to share with other companies who use the same platform from a third-party supplier. So we build everything ourselves. We build our apps, we build our websites, our UI, UX, all the player account management, the payments, the fraud tools, the marketing tools, promotional tools, the whole suite of solutions that create an experience that's unique and differentiated are things we build in-house. That gives us a big advantage because as Nicole said, we're able to launch into new markets faster, the regulations come out, we don't have to wait for third parties to figure out when they're going to be able to deliver the requirements to meet those regulations. We develop it ourselves in-house and allows us to get to market fast, which is great because it gets you an early adapter of a lot of the players. And then on top of it, when you come up with a great idea like Rush Pay, it's a feature we built, which gives you cash outs in real time, a player, um, player wins and lets you um, approve withdrawals extremely fast, which is what gamblers like. We build that in-house and you just couldn't do if you didn't have your own system. So owning your own tech stack like we do is critical. I will say you don't need to own every single piece of it because there's some great assets that you borrow from third parties or you license from third parties like slot games or some gaming mechanics. And so I think it's really a combination of being able to build your own and integrate third-party world-class solutions when you can. And together, that I think that creates a compelling user experience. Love that. Uh, Richard, you know, we heard Niccolo mention the payback period. So a growing topic in the sports betting space, we've heard some other CEOs of some rival companies, you know, have this debate of what's more important, customer acquisition or profits. And now being a publicly traded company, you know, how do you balance both those things and maybe which is more important short term and which is more important long term or a combination of both? It's a great question. And you're right, there's a lot of debate in the industry. I can tell you that from day one, we built our business with a goal of being profitable. So everything we've done to date is saying, we don't know how long the revenue growth is going to be the, the primary driver, but we have to be prepared for all scenarios. And so the hardest thing to do right is get the foundation right. You can take shortcuts by announcing splashy marketing deals and you get a lot of volume coming in right away. But if you don't know how to retain those players, you don't invest the 10 years that we have in investing in retention mechanics to keep those players. I think we did the hard work first. That's retention. Once you have that, you can increase your marketing spend to get a better throughput to the, the fast payback times that Nicola referenced earlier. So I think that at the end of the day, profits are tied to retention. Retention is tied to the user experience, which is a combination of product and, and customer service. And we focus on those things very, very heavily from the very beginning. So I would say longer term, you're going to see a shift from just signing marketing deals, which are easy to do. It takes a negotiation and a willingness to pay some money. That's easy. The hard part is, okay, now the player arrives. What are you going to do to make them feel special? Make them feel like you're treating them and earning their trust. How are you going to create an innovation for experiences they don't offer anywhere else that they like a lot so they will come back to you? Like on our casino product, which is one of our most innovative in our 
in the industry, we had a chat room and players talk with each other and they communicate with each other and they engage with each other and with us, the staff. We have trivia games, contests, all kinds of things. So players don't want to leave into us and go somewhere else because they miss the community they built. And so it's those types of innovations that I think will keep the retention at the levels that we're seeing. Nicolo, uh, same topic for you. You know, again, it's been highly debated in the sports betting and iGaming space. And you, of course, familiar with that via Rush Street and also Genius Sports. Um, you know, you got to look at the financials of this company. You got to see some peers. So talk to us, you know, how you feel about customer acquisition and profits and the overall uh, market for those. Yeah, so Richard hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, he, he and his, his business partner, Neil Bloom, who's our, who's our chairman, you know, they're long-term thinkers, but they're long-term thinkers always about how these things become free cash flow machines uh, at the end of the day. And I can attest to the fact that I've never met a team more focused on return on invested capital uh, of everything, everything they do, as well as, you know, when free cash flow starts getting generated. Um, it is easy in my mind to see how a business like uh, RSI could, could dramatically, if it wanted, dramatically increase uh, you know, marketing spend if they took a payback perspective similar to some of their competitors. They don't do that. They've had a lot of discipline all the way through. An example of that discipline is the fact that this company made it to IPO on only about $50 million of invested capital. That's amazing. Some of their competitors took, took 20 times that, right? So, you know, you look at them now and you can see that as the, as the public markets are rotating towards profitability and rotating towards return on invested capital, you can see this company is going you know, from strength to strength. It keeps beating numbers. It, it spends very little money relative to peers in building that market share. It keeps getting into markets faster than everybody else. And all throughout the time here, Richard keeps making the customer experience better and better. Awesome. Uh, Richard, I want to turn to uh, New York, right? So obviously in the industry, you know, we know that some of the biggest states out there, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Michigan, we have legalization coming in New York and Bet Rivers was able to land one of those highly sought after licenses. So talk to us about that process and why it's so important that Rush Street now has access to the New York market where some of your competition got left out. Sure, no, it's an exciting, uh, very exciting market opportunity for us. We're very thrilled that we're one of only seven licenses in the market. Just for contrast, some states have 40 or 50 licenses but New York, the largest population state that will be legalizing online gaming is limited to the seven that you referenced or we referenced. So what it comes down to ultimately is it was a process. They had to select companies, the state selected companies they thought had good reputations, deliver strong revenues, would be a compliant and bring value to the to the state. And we sort of hit on all those all those requirements and sort of have a great history of only being an operator legal and le in legal and regulated markets. Very clean from a background standpoint as well. Uh, and so I think when it comes to New York, it's super exciting. Why? Because obviously it's the center of the media world in our country, but also it helps you be more marketing efficient, market more efficiently, not only nationally, which is critical. If you're going to do a sponsorship with the major sports teams, the leagues, any media partners, you're going to want to have the ability to compete and be able to use those eyeballs around the country. If you're saying I only, you know, I'm missing 20 million people in New York that can't bet on my product, you're going to be at a disadvantage when you seek those types of, of national deals. But even locally, a third of what you market in New York State goes to Connecticut and, and uh, New Jersey. And by the way, we were one of only three companies with license in Connecticut. That's the lowest number of licenses of any state in the country. So it's great that we know and we spend money in New York that our 
eyeballs in Connecticut will be uh, getting some benefits for our company. Another example is if you're in New Jersey, you're not in New York, then you're being really inefficient with your marketing in New Jersey because you share media market with New York. So I think when it comes to marketing efficiency, as we talked about earlier, profits, if you're not in Connecticut, you're not in New York, you have a real big disadvantage nationally and in the Northeast. Nicolo, uh, same topic to you. You know, you just heard Richard talk about that tri-state area. It's going to be very important for Rush Street going forward. New Jersey, Connecticut, New York having access to all three states now. How important is that for Rush Street going forward? Look, I mean, this company keeps getting more and more momentum, right? And they're showing that they can deliver on being first in the new states. They're showing they got the best tech stack. They've got the best payback periods. They're crushing numbers. Um, you know, I think Richard's an incredible leader. I think he's got a fabulous team around him as well. But he, he's been doing this for decades, and expertise matters ultimately. Um, I think there's, I think there's a plan here that has actually borne out fruit from when we announced the pipe to when the deal closed every quarter since then. Um, and so we're very bullish, obviously, on this company grabbing, you know, a good chunk of the, as the rest of the U.S. states continue to liberalize here. Um, I don't know the ins and outs nearly as well as Richard uh, on how you can make sort of, you know, in, in, inter interoperability happen between states and so on. What I do know is that this is the best of breed company when it comes to, you know, fluidity around the customer experience, understanding the mindset of gamers uh, and gamblers, understanding also how to cater for all genders and all ages, which is a really important point. This is a company that's been focused on everyone not just sort of male, you know, sports, sports betters. And I think you're starting to see that coming in the numbers as well. Perfect. Uh, Richard, I'll, I'll turn back to you. You know, I, I know you probably can't get into specifics. I already saw some questions here. There are some rumors about potential acquisitions, either, you know, of your company or by your company. Can you just talk broadly? What does M&A look like in the sports betting and iGaming sector? Is that something we're going to continue to see and, you know, is Rush Street going to be active in the M&A space going forward? Well, it's, it's a great question, and thanks for, thanks for asking it. I think you hear a lot of articles, a lot of rumors, things like that. And at the end of the day, the reason why you hear those rumors is we have things for ourselves that are valuable that others want or need. So you look at our tech stack we talked about. A lot of companies don't have a, a tech stack in-house, and they do. It's not at the world-class level that ours is at. Number two, market access. We talked about that. We're in all the major markets, Michigan, Arizona, Illinois, Pennsylvania, New York, Connecticut. Other guys aren't in all those markets. Number three, we have our own casino, a leading casino product. Casino is the most profitable category in this industry. A lot of the sports-only companies or historical sports-focused companies don't really understand the casino category level we do. So the sophistication of our product really makes us attractive. I think that's why you hear about it. Well, that's the same reason we built it ourselves. We knew how valuable it would be. Number four, we're diverse. We're one of the leaders in, in Latin America. In, uh, in Colombia, we're number three out of 20 operators. And we have a lot of opportunity for growth in all of Latin America, which is an exciting market. Very big populations, love to gamble on sports, and also have a history of having casinos in most of those countries. Number five, we have scale. We're, you know, we're approaching $500 million you know, as, a, as a target and so uh, in, in a year. And that's a large number that helps anybody become a real leader in this market, just like we are a top four or five right now in revenue size in the country. So I think when you have all these things going for yourself and nothing blocking us from continuing to succeed, I think you're going to have a lot of rumors and things like that. In the day, we're just focusing on improving the user experience and keep, keep advancing our advantage that we think we already have. 
you know, in the, in, the, in the long run, Chris, what I'd say is the businesses with the best return on invested capital tend to become the champions in the long term. And that's why we, you know, we picked obviously Richard and Rush Street is they have that better mousetrap, as I've said to you before. It's like you put a dollar in, they get a lot more dollars out than everybody else. Um, and so over time, those advantages just keep compounding. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously lots of rumors out there. I know you guys can't get into specifics, but I had to ask, uh, you know, and get into M&A. Uh, another topic, you know, maybe this is the the coming elephant in the room, right, is that we're seeing some cancellations, some postponements, some event changes across the sports industry due to COVID-19. Obviously, that's something Rush Street already weathered, you know, over the past couple of years. Um, you know, what are your comments on how this could impact the business going forward? Uh, Richard, I'll start with you here. Well, I think the first is that if you postpone events, which is what you're starting to see a little bit to other days, it actually works out well. For example, NFL is going to have two games tonight, two games tomorrow night. Primetime games is exciting. We also know that for the first time since 1978, the NFL expanded the season this year, so we'll get an extra NFL game. Uh, but I think the leagues and, and, and the media, everyone's kind of used to now the adjustment, the flexibility. The sports books are very flexible. We know how to manage the situation very well. But I think you're going to, you might see more of the changing and the shift and all that, but you're not going to see a, a wholesale closure of the events. I think you know how to play it. If you need to, in a bubble, you know what to do with limited crowd sizes. So we don't think it's going to have much of an impact. We always, of course, mention that in our investment decks that you always have subject to you know, changes from due to COVID. But at the end of the day, we feel like uh, everyone's experienced now on how to manage this. And we'll continue to see this very exciting uh, rest of the football seasons for both college football and NFL. And then, of course, you have the exciting NBA and, and NHL seasons ongoing right now. And March Madness just around the corner. So I think the schedule is going to be full, uh, but we will manage it accordingly as we have for, you know, since March of a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, I think, Chris, to be honest, that lockdowns, shelter in place, I mean, they're, they're terrible for most industries but they're pretty good for gaming. Uh, and I say that across all, all the gaming businesses I'm involved with, like they tend to get a shot in the arm. We're the, we're the best value entertainment per dollar typically. Uh, and because Richard's built, I think the preeminent consumer experience, he's gonna pick up share in a world where people are commuting less and they got a little bit more time on their hands. We saw it last year, you know, two years ago, and we'll, we'll see it again. Love it. You know, the, the other question I have to ask, you know, we got into versus competition, we got into profitability. You know, when we talk sports betting, you know, a lot of people know the the big three brands, right? DraftKings, FanDuel, and BetMGM. How does Rush Street kind of position itself to grow market share and grow that brand awareness while still focusing on the profitability side? Richard? Right. Well, like in Colombia, I referenced earlier, we we're a 20% market share. We grew, we started there without anybody speaking Spanish in our company and no existing brand, no database, and we're profitable there. So it's very possible to grow those brands. And that's what we're doing around the country right now. I mean, just as a, just as a sense of size growth, we were, you know, a year ago when we went public, you know, last December, we were in five online markets. Today, we're in 11 online markets in North America. And in a few months, we'll be in uh, you know, 16 or 15. So the growth is very, and as you grow, you're also getting all the affiliate marketing, all the paid search, all the sponsorships we've done with major teams or partners with uh, the Flyers and the Penguins. Uh, and then the NBA, we have a couple partnerships with a couple of teams, including the Detroit Pistons. Uh, so I think that's going to continue to sort of grow our brand awareness as we continue to proliferate our, our social media strategy, which is focusing on hiring really high quality talent, people that know gambling themselves, that can speak the language, 
who actually have a, a contributions to make to the audience. So I think we're, we're building the brand day by day. It didn't start with the same awareness as of DraftKings or FanDuel, but we also didn't spend a billion dollars building a brand awareness before the past, but law passed. So we're, we're catching up now, but we're catching up at a very high pace. I mean, to put this in context, Chris, you know, you and I talked about this past, the year before we announced our partnership with RSI, this business did something like $60 million of revenue. I think last year it was maybe 275-ish, something like that. The original guidance for this year, when we announced the deal last, you know, last summer, was 320 of revenue. And I think Richard's latest guidance is 480, something like that, or more. I mean, that's amazing. They're a 50% bigger, they're 100% bigger than last year, 50% bigger than the original plan. I mean, that is a commitment to operational excellence that everyone can applaud. Definitely. Richard, on that note with guidance, you know, you did raise guidance to a range of 480 to 500 million in the most recent quarter. You just heard Niccolo talk about that. My question for you is, you know, do we have a timeline on maybe the New York launch? And is any of that factored into that increased guidance by the company? Yeah, I know we uh, we don't have any timelines to share. Obviously, the only thing you see publicly is sort of the, the goal for the I've seen raised being you know, Super Bowl. Uh, there's really no gui- inclusion and guidance of the uh, markets that we ha- we're not live in uh, currently, which would be including New York. Perfect. Spencer, I know we have some questions here in the chat, a uh, very do. lively chat during the interview. What do you got for the, for the yeah, guys here? There was a question about, uh, I guess it's referring to an interview with the chairman of the Connecticut Lottery, and he hinted at a rebranding of Sugar House. Uh, Richard, do you have any comment on that? Uh, yeah, no, there's, we have two brands that we operate, uh, Sugar House and Rivers, and we operate you know, Sugar House in three states, Rivers in the others. And so we haven't defined or publicized any brand strategy changes that we're planning, but there's yeah. always certainly a desire to try to unify uh, when you can the brands. What about your penetration into Ontario? Some Kramer 90. What's to know about that? It's a fun name. Uh, yeah, so. Uh, yeah, we're, we are planning to be in that market as soon as we can be. It's certainly one of the more exciting markets opening wide. Uh, you know, it actually would be the second largest, you know, population uh, in the in the North American market that you could be into, right? With New York being legal and, and then Ontario, and then I guess you have Mexico as well. But I think from a, talking about the North American uh, uh, markets, I look at the top three. Uh, so it's also going to allow casino. Which is really exciting for a company like us is the proven track record of being strong there. And don't forget, our casino players are worth about five times more on average than a sportsbook player. So, in a market the size of Ontario, which I know was a U.S. state, people often say it'd be a top five in population with the maturity of a player base that likes to play casino games for many decades. Uh, it's a really, really exciting market. And that's opening. Was hopefully going to be open in February. Could be into March. It's a little bit unsure the timing on that really being driven not by us, but by the, the state of the regulatory body. They're trying to take a very complex process and, and, and get the whole industry live. That's an important point, actually. I mean, we haven't we haven't touched on it yet, Richard. I mean, you know, we, we have a lot of pride in the casino business. It's kind of the core of the company. This is not a sports betting first company. It's kind of a casino first business. And I think the sort of psychology of that player base, male and female, young and old, uh, is one of the one of the hallmarks of really Richard's expertise base and and what he's assembled here and what he's executed on and delivered. Love that. Well, I think that's it for the questions. Again, there were several questions about maybe an ESPN or another company out there floated out, but I know you guys already hit on that. Uh, So Richard, Niccolo, thank you so much. Again, Rush Street Interactive, ticker RSI. 
sports betting and online casino. Thank you both gentlemen for joining us on Benzinga Live today. We look forward to talking to you guys soon. Appreciate My pleasure. It. Thank you. Right, happy happy New Year, guys, and happy holidays. As well, too. All right. All right. All right. Chris, oh, Michael says, don't be scared. Uh, if you guys are still there, Michael Montero says, uh, don't be scared of ESPN. Richard, take note. <laughs> All right. <laughs> uh, Chris, I don't have any, to my knowledge, I don't have any exposure at all to any gaming companies. Um, should I? I think you should. I, okay. I mean, sports betting. So, so, Spencer, you're from New Jersey, right? And I think that That's was true. one of the, the big points. New Jersey is like the leader in sports betting and online casino. And one of the big questions is, is New Jersey a leader because they were first to market because they have a decent sized population or do they have the benefit of a lot of people from New York, you know, crossing over betting in state, going to sporting events in New Jersey, betting at those sporting events. So yeah. that New York market is, is a, a monster, right? And Bet Rivers has access to that. Some rivals, including, you know, like Barstool, they didn't get access to New York. They lost out on the bid. So I think that also makes Bet Rivers Rush Street here more attractive for a potential acquisition. Again, I know Richard and Niccolo can't comment on that, but there are some rumors that, you know, is looking nice to a, a company like an ESPN or a Fanatics that's looking to get into the sports betting space. You heard him talk about the tech stack. You know, that's a key differentiator here. Spencer, I love the sports betting space, but again, you know, someone who bets on sports and invests in sports betting companies, you know, I'm a little biased here. So what can I say? Yeah, I mean, just anecdotally, I can, I can confirm that going across the river, going from New York to New Jersey for a day of just betting on football is like, was, not anymore, but was 100% like a thing that people, at least my friends would do, right? Because they couldn't do it, you know, in New York. Um, I just had a thought as well. Oh yeah. Um, on the questions about the, the specific rumors of fanatics, the ESPN, look, I, I, I respect it. You guys, you guys can ask it. You, you know that we will ask what you want us to ask. Um, but very often these questions don't get the answers that, that satisfy anyone. So just know that going in, if you're going to ask a question about a specific rumor, um, 99 times out of 100, it won't get addressed. That one time it will get addressed, but usually they know what they can and can't say. We tried, um, right? We tried. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, look, we'll ask it. We got no problems asking it, but, like, we're not going to get the answer that any of us want. <laughs> so, like, yeah. uh, a, a, B, so question for you. I know you, you, uh, you know, have looked at some sports betting uh, companies and apps before. So, you know, obviously DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, the three big ones. Uh, interesting topic of, you know, profits versus customer acquisition. So, you know, as someone who bets on sports, you know, I'm constantly getting offers from these companies, right? You know, here's free money if you deposit. Here's boosted odds, right? If Tom Brady throws a touchdown, we'll pay you plus 500 if you sign up, right? How important do you think that is, you know, obviously short term right now to get customers, but do you think some of that starts to go away? when these companies really have to focus on profitability as publicly traded companies? Well, I think eventually, yeah, you'll see some of those promotions start to kind of dwindle down as companies, uh, you know, try to raise their revenues. But right now, I mean, Chris, it's, it's still such an early industry. I mean, we're what, legal in 10 states or so? 
Um, so, so I'd imagine that as as this expansion continues and more and more states become legalized, we'll kind of see that state by state that uh, land grab per se of the market share from different companies. So. Um, you know, I'm from Missouri, so when Missouri legalizes gambling and say they, they give five licenses to uh, the, the five companies that are up on the screen right now, they will all put out promotions to try to grab that market share in Missouri. I think uh, that's, that's certainly one of the reasons a lot of these stocks have not been doing well the past six months or so is because it's, it's kind of common knowledge now among investors how much money these companies are really spending trying to uh, acquire customers. And I mean, I don't know. I think we'll have to know long term, like, is there going to be brand loyalty to certain apps, to certain things? Or will people just have, you know, all four different apps that are available in their state and they can look at the app by app and see which one has the best line on the game they want to bet? Um, So I, I think it's all too early to say but i feel like i'm probably the target here because i'm unlike you guys i'm not really a big sports better but i i do it you know every couple of months when i remember that it's a thing right on a sunday morning and i'm like oh crap i want to bet on some football today and i'm i've got zero brand loyalty i'm all about you are the show me show me the best offer yeah where's the best offer that's where i'll go and and so i've game what i've got on every platform if it seems like because where's the offer so yep I'm probably the person that they want to get, the casual. I don't know. Maybe maybe the market is split up into two groups. There's the the brand loyalists who, oh, I'm only a Barstool guy. Yeah. I'm only a Bet Rivers guy versus the people like me that are like, hey, hey I'll go wherever the heck. Yeah, and, that, and that's something that Portnoy's talked about too, how, you know, Barstool has a very loyal fan base. And, you know, in a couple yep. of years, they're going to be able to take away from draft things and FanDuel uh, again you know it's a huge debate in the the industry and I really liked hearing from Richard and Niccolo you know what their thoughts were uh, on some of those topics so uh, I really had a lot of fun with today's interview Spencer I hope you learned something about the sports betting market maybe you'll uh, you know have to play some bets today after that you know I mean the Lions are on a win streak after all so I mean maybe if you wanted to wait 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 wait, wait, wait 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 they won one is that a streak that's a streak one's a streak right <laughs> It's better than zero. Is one a streak? You got to start somewhere. Is one a streak? I don't know that. They're like two, three, and one in their last six games. I mean, come on. So they're basically 500. Yeah, that's pretty Um, good for them. Wait, what was I about to say? Shoot. Okay, I I forgot what I was about to say, but there's a question in the chat that uh, Richard recently converted preferred shares into uh, common shares. Why would someone do that in your opinion? Good question. Um, Well... There's a bunch of reasons we obviously are not Richard and we don't we don't know. But uh, one hypothesis could be he wants to do something with those shares. Maybe he wants to sell them in the open market. Maybe he was doing just some end of year tax finagling. Right. And it has a different cost basis and they prefer to the common. There's a few reasons, Ivan. I wouldn't read too much into that, though. Um, yeah, it's I mean, not it's, as if he, yeah. It, yeah. it's always hard at the end of the year with taxes and stuff when you get into stuff like that. Also, remember, Rush Street has only been public for so long. So, I mean, he co-founded this company. He has a lot of equity in the company, a lot of preferred shares. So, I mean, I, I would guess, you know, that, you know, he, he can make different decisions based on, you know, his own financial state as well. True, true, true. All right, Chris Couchy. Wait, Chris, did we miss? I know we had to, we had to pause on like the news stuff for the interview, but did we miss anything on the news front? 
as far as SPACs are concerned? Are we that's, all good? That's it. I mean, like I said, four deals today. We had 11 deals last week. I mean, this is a shortened trading week. Uh, I I mean, maybe we, get, maybe we get some more deals announced tomorrow and Wednesday. Um, a lot of M&A activity. I was actually surprised, Spencer and AB, to, to wake up this morning and start to see those deals roll in. Um, I was thinking this was going to be a quiet week for M&A, but I was uh, completely wrong on that front. You know, maybe they're just all like, get, oh, shit, let's get, all, let's get it out the there before, get it out there before <laughs> the end of the year. <laughs> maybe next week will be the busiest week on hand. Maybe we'll see that. So all these announcements before the end of the year. Chris, Wait. what's the overall like sentiment like in SPAC world heading into 2022? Because we've seen, uh, you know, this like SPAC mania, SPAC craze, if you will, about a year ago where uh, it, it was kind of all anyone wanted to, to talk about or, or invest in were these new SPACs. And then we saw a lot of those same SPACs get beaten down. Um, so, so where do we stand right now? Yeah, I actually have a poll going out to some SPAC uh, experts in the industry working on an article of, you know, the best of 2021 and also what's ahead for 2022. So I'm glad you said that, AB. Um, but I, I really think we still just have a massive amount of SPACs out there. I've been calling for months that we need to have less new SPACs come to market, right? Because there's still 400 plus SPACs searching for a target, which means you're going to get some unfortunate deals in terms of valuation. I think the important thing here is to look for those companies with real revenue, with profits, with a clear line of sight. I mean, you heard Niccolo say when Genius, when they did that deal, their original guidance for this year was $320 million. Their new guidance is now $500 million. So I think that's something I'm looking at, right? Find the de-spacked companies that are raising guidance. They're not, you know, cutting guidance. They're not, you know no longer issuing guidance. They're going head on. They're raising guidance and have that strong financial plan in place. Great question. Got it. Yeah, no, thank you for, for clearing that up. I, I was just curious because I, I knew you would have your finger on the pulse a little bit more than I would as far as just what the overall sentiment is like in SPAC land right now. Um, any oh, come on. New year, new me, new you, new Chris, new SPACs. Everyone's, everyone's positive into the new year. I mean, we're no longer getting those big pops on day one. So I think it's more important than ever to really do that due diligence, you know, which is why we're doing interviews like this, you know, why it's important to look into these companies, because if you want to make money on these deals, you really have to, you know, dive in and know what you're investing in uh, going through that SPAC process. And and you mentioned the guidance thing, you know, now, a lot of these SPACs, frankly, don't have the history to raise right. their guidance yep. now yep. now that we're, we're you know a lot of them have been public for a year or more okay now we can actually uh, do that so so maybe that's a catalyst definitely uh, wait fear king i see your questions okay you guys want to all right we'll do rapid fire quick uh someone asked chris for your thoughts on genie do you, do you have thoughts on genie I still like Genie. I mean, Genie is the thing behind the thing. They provide yep. sports betting data for all these companies. I mean, they, they have a duopoly with Sport Radar. I mean, Spencer, anytime you have a monopoly or a duopoly in an industry that's rapidly growing, that's somewhere where I want to be. So uh, I'm a fan of Genie. I am long Genie here. Okay. And then PL. I don't know yes. what PL is. Yeah, so PL is Planet, so another Nickelodeon oh, back. Oh, I know, um, I know a Planet. Okay, right. We we talked. Yeah, we, to wait, him. we, 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 talked we to had Will. them on the show. Yeah, they yeah. were on the show. It's you know kind of like the Bloomberg of satellites, the data, the imagery. The stock did drop. Um, they actually recently reported earnings. They raised guidance again. I mean, again, a company. 
that's got real revenue. They raise guidance. Um, this is a company I'm long. I, I love the satellite space. I love the thing behind the thing. And also worth noting that Planet Shares PL got added to the Metaverse ETF ticker META today by Roundhill. Um, so again, Metaverse space is hot. PL is involved there as well. Okay, I hope we got to your questions. We got we can't monopolize Chris's whole day. Chris Kachi is Benzinga's uh, SPAC guru. He's a staff writer. Uh, and uh, Chris, I, I, this might be – will this be the last time you join the show for the year? I'm not sure because I'm not quite sure if we're doing shows at the yeah, end of this week or next yeah, week. I don't know our show calendar, so, I mean, I'll, so, I'll be on when I'm on, I guess. We'll, so we'll if, talk about we'll If talk I about don't that. see you guys, happy holidays, happy new year, and same, same to, to all the viewers out there as well. Same to um, you. Thank you, guys. Have a good one. All right. Have a good one. You as well, Chris. Thank you, Chris Cache, for coming on the show today to talk about some SPACs and then lead the interview with Rush Street Interactive. Please smash the like for Chris. Such a special treat to get Chris on the stream on Benzinga Live. Yeah. Especially because Chris was, like, powered through. He didn't he didn't have power for a couple days, and he got it back, and he's, like, didn't miss a beat. No. So. All right. Uh, hey, it is 1224. So, okay, so we're not going to have Matt Hammond on the show today because, frankly, there are no IPOs this week. So why would we have Matt on to preview nothing? So we'll get Matt Hammond on when there are actually IPOs on the calendar. We're going to have Jake Ujastic on at 1. We're going to have Chris Capri on at 1.30. In the meantime, Aaron Bree, how was your weekend, man? We should probably just take a step back and just talk about life. How was your weekend? Eh, it was okay. Eh? Yeah. It was okay. Yeah. All right. How about you? It was good. I caught up on a lot of – I watched a lot of things, man. I saw Spider-Man. If you saw Spider-Man, put a one in the chat. Wait, you I, went out to a theater and saw Spider-Man? I went out to a theater. It was pretty crowded. Obviously, you you know this because the box office numbers were, were huge. Every theater was crowded. That's kind of the point, right? Um, so, saw Spider-Man. I, I'm like a month behind pop culture usually, so I finally got around to, to watching Squid Game. That was fun. Um, I started watching the... The Beatles documentary on, on Disney Plus, Get Back. Okay. Uh, that was that's fantastic if you're you know into Beatles or music history at all. So um, did I have to wear a mask? No, you don't I find you don't have to wear a mask anywhere, really. You it, 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 it they can encourage it. Um but I I haven't been told I think like one store I went to when I was out shopping like a month ago was like, please put your mask on like when you walk in. Uh, but like no one no one's enforcing mask policies, really, I think, at least in my that I've seen that, you know, we we encourage you to wear masks in a company accompanied with CDC guidelines. Please wear your mask. But no one's making you do anything. You know what I mean? I um, did not know. Netflix was a traded uh, publicly <clears throat> traded company back in 2002. Oh yeah, dude, the DVDs. I know. Well, I knew that, but I remember I re we I like my family had a Netflix subscription when it was just mailing DVDs, but that was in like 2007, yeah. 2008. Yeah. D does Netflix still mail out DVDs in no, any capacity? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I think actually there was a there was a hullabaloo because they stopped doing that like I think I think it was like 3 or 4 years ago. I think they spun that off into a different company. Ah oh, man, I vaguely remember. Redbox is also publicly traded. Didn't that spec? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Yo, when's the last time you've been to your Redbox? <laughs> it's been probably in college. I think it was the last time I went to your Redbox. Yeah, years and years um, and years. Okay, uh, backward. Yeah, that could be true. I can only speak for my state, obviously. Um, but actually, no, backward. You know what? You're right. Because when I was in New Jersey, they were also a little bit more strict about that. So it could just be like a New York, New Jersey thing. Uh, but in Michigan, they're they're not very strict about that sort of thing. Um, so, anyways, great movie. I recommend everyone see it if you're into. Spider-Man and Marvel and all that sort of thing. Um, I had a mask on at the beginning. I'm not going to say it stayed on the whole time because, you know, but whatever. Okay. Okay. So, um, Aaron, make any trades today uh, yeah, Friday that we can talk about? I did. I'll, I you can did? go ahead and share my screen. Oh, yeah. Um, this should be fun. Last Friday, I, I opened some positions, so I had a Zoom call going into today. I had an Activision call, and I had a Carnival uh, put. Oh, no. So basically, I was playing the... Uh, why are you saying oh, no? Because Car- Have you seen Carnival today? Well, I sold my Carnival put when it opened oh, down. Oh, okay, great. Like, yes! It opened down like 3% today. So Carnival opened down 3.5%. I got out of those puts. Uh, Carnival came back up from there, so I don't even know what I ended up making on it but I, I made a small profit on that the zoom calls i i got them on friday and zoom actually um had a good day on friday i was i was hoping for it to so here we can see on the 17th zoom opened at 184 closed at nearly 200 dollars. so we saw saw zoom go up nearly 10 percent on friday i was riding that all the way up i was hoping for another leg up this morning on the zoom calls but i sold them for a nice profit let's see i sold um I bought the contract for 260, sold it for 430, so not bad there. Um, and then Spencer, this morning I opened a Netflix call that at one point I was up like a lot of money on. Here I am. Yeah, Netflix. Does anyone have an idea as to why Netflix made the had the? So at one point on this it? Netflix call, I was up 800. dollars Hey now. And now it's come all the way back down in the red. Hey no. So yeah, that was one where I was even saying on live trading while I was up that much, like here's where I would be trimming my position, but of course. Uh, right now I can't, so I'm basically just hoping Netflix gets another rally in it before the end of the day, which I wouldn't, um, I'm not expecting, but I also wouldn't count out right now with how how Netflix's chart is looking and and also just, uh, what's going on. But that's the thing right now, Spencer, is, I mean, the markets are obviously, uh, if we pull up the VIX, right, uh, uh, the VIX is up over 10% today. So a lot of uncertainty and volatility in the market and a lot of that is from the omicron covid variant but it doesn't seem like a lot of these trades that have benefited from covid in the past such as moderna uh pfizer zoom it doesn't look like any of these are there's no consensus out there saying okay the covid trade is is back on you know yeah that was the weird thing it was like this morning there was like sort of sort of a consensus because because zoom if you pull up zoom is you know i'll pull up zoom actually where's my chart that's not Zoom. Uh, Zoom was your leader, right? Zoom was having a great morning, um, you know, hours ago. Obviously, uh, it, once the open hit, we, we dropped a little bit, and now we're, we're holding steady around the 200, 201 area. Um, but Zoom was, like, Zoom and your vaccine stocks were your clear, clear pre-market leaders. Uh, those all came off at the open. So... I'm not quite sure what to make of today, to be honest with you. I, I, I really don't know. Uh, you had a huge pop in the cruise liners. That was, I think, due to Carnival's earnings report this morning. Uh, but RCL had a pop. NCLH had a pop. Uh, the airlines had a pop. Right, American had a nice pop. 
they're they're at the open. Um, they've all come off their highs. Uh, we are still broadly red across the board. Um, in I think I think every index uh, still in the red, um, and every sector still in the red. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure what to make it today. I don't. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, I've said this before. I feel like a few times over the last year or two, I, I feel like we'll know a lot more, uh, both in terms of the market and just overall with what's going on with COVID in a couple weeks. Um, well, a couple weeks. What? What is that? Is that just like? Why do you say a couple weeks? Is it just just guys? Well, I, I mean, for a couple reasons. Right now. Um, in terms of COVID, I think we'll know more in two weeks as far as, so we know there's a lot of spread going on right now, but we'll know in two weeks what the uh, outcome of that spread is. Is it truly, okay, less hospitalizations in the last wave, it is less severe, or um, will we still see a big spike in hospitalizations? Who knows? That's why I'm just basically saying um, I, I think there's some uncertainty surrounding uh, what's going on with this new COVID wave where it, now we can finally say we're, we were in precedented times because we've had how precedented precedent precedented yeah, yeah we're yes. in precedented times because yes. we've had a, a second COVID wave before we had the Delta wave now we're getting the Omicron wave but we don't the, like the, the storyline is not finished um, with Omicron yet it's very possible that it, that it ends up being okay this is uh, way less severe than which a lot of reports are indicating now but who knows uh, on a side note, you know, I saw I got all the vaccine stocks up here. Not all of them, but you know, some of them. And that that green, that blue line, or the, the the teal line is Pfizer. Look at Pfizer today. So Novavax, BioNTech, Moderna, all popped in the pre market, all trading significantly off those highs. In in some in the case of Moderna, even actually in the case of Novavax and Moderna, and BioNTech are actually uh, down for the day. Uh, look at look at Pfizer. Look at the teal line. You can't really stop Pfizer. It kind of just goes up every single day. It's held up so much better relative to the other names on this chart today. I don't know why. That's just the way it's been. Let's pull up a daily. Let's pull up a daily. Come on, daily. Where'd you go? There you go. Look at Pfizer the last couple months. Does anyone have any ideas here? Why is Pfizer all of a sudden outperforming all the other vaccine stocks? It's not all of a sudden because, like, like you can see here, it's been this way for, for two months now. But I don't know. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it's Pfizer. It's, like, slow and stodgy. But not anymore. It's at all-time highs. Go figure. Not quite sure. Um, what else is the chat talking about? Let's get that off the screen. We will, we will at some point look at cryptos, uh, at some point today. Yeah, uh, we got about half an hour till Jake Wojastic from Trend Spider is going to join us. Um, uh, another stock I've been watching, Spencer, one that we saw get absolutely beat down, um, last month was Asana. Um, oh. and on Friday we got a headline that the CEO bought, uh, Bought a bunch of stock back in Asana. I feel like he's been buying. I feel like I heard that he's been buying a lot. Um, I know. Uh, let's see. I, I think I think he like always buys. Here, let's check in the pro right now. We can well, he that. bought eighty-one million dollars worth of stock in one week last week. 
bringing his purchases that's, for the month oh, oh, so over 195 million yeah so so this that's is a lot <laughs> we've talked about before right a lot of times when you're looking at insider trading you'll see um so and so sold shares uh, you know whatever and and there's a lot of reasons to sell a stock right you might have to sell some for tax purposes you might um want to sell some because you you just need cash because you're you're buying a new house or something but uh, the adage goes, there's really only one reason to buy the stock back, right? A multitude of reasons to sell the stock. It's hard to infer sometimes why an insider would sell the stock. Um, but if an insider is buying the stock, that's usually a telltale sign. Okay, that insider thinks this stock is going to go up. Um, and what we've seen is since we've gotten those headlines from Asana's CEO, the stock has gone from $64 to $76. Um, so this was a stock that was trading nearly twice of what it's at right now right we have highs of around 140 back in november only at 76 dollars right now i haven't taken too much time to like do some due diligence on asana i know we we use asana here at benzinga and it is a very um it's a very useful practical tool i think there are a lot of other uh softwares out there that do similar things um, so, so I, I would I would need to do some research to see like what is Asana's true moat like what do they do to differentiate themselves from Slack from Salesforce from um, all these other tools that you have out there for for remote work. But with that being said, do I really think Asana is worth half of what it was three weeks ago? No, not at all. So th this is one that I would just add to the watch list. Um, certainly a bullish sign see, seeing the CEO. Uh, that's Dustin. Moskovitz, Moskovitz yeah. bought uh, more than 150 million dollars worth of the stock. So, let us let me know in the chat what you think about Asana. That's ticker ASAN. It got so overdone, though. That's the thing. I mean, How uh, in the last week, it's up 24 percent. Yeah. So you you want to buy it now? You want to buy it after it rose 24 uh, percent? Uh, okay, not for me. All right, but. Um, I mean, you know, like you said, we use Asana. I, I don't know. Just because we use it doesn't make doesn't make me bullish. I don't know, man. Software names. How high did it get before? What's the all time high in Asana? Like one fifty, one forty one, uh, maybe. Man. Um. Okay. Firat King is uh following up with me on Palantir because I did say I would buy it if we got to the bottom of the range. Well, we're there right now. So here's what I just did while Aaron Bree was talking. Firat King, I just took my shot. I shot my shot on Palantir. Okay, uh, small position in the trading portfolio on Weeble, which is the one that I make the short-term slash swing trades on. Um, so I did just took a, uh, take a nibble at – what's my cost basis here? Uh, come on now. Um, help me out. Thank you. Seventeen ninety seven is my cost basis in Palantir. We're at we're at some support, right? Uh, a couple of weekly low one, two, three, four, five weekly lows and whatever that weekly high is in this area. All right, yeah, I'll take a shot on Palantir here. Daily support too, right? We're at the bottom of this range. This could end up being a loser for me, um, but I'll take a shot. And as far as an out, you know, you should always have your out, always have your risk tolerance known before you go in. Um, if I, My general rule of thumb is if I can't find a level nearby 
then the rule is 10%. This is on my trading account, okay? This is on my, my, my small Weeble trading account where I'm willing to, you know, I, I, I would never, like, risk 10% on a trade with, like, you know, my quote-unquote real money. But to me, 10% seems like a lot. Uh, so it's 10% of my account uh, is what I'd be, like, willing to lose um, if I couldn't find a level on the downside to, like, quote-unquote, use it as, as a good mental stop. In this case, I kind of like this this low. What is that? Seventeen dollars, seventeen oh six. I kind of like seventeen. So what I'm going to do is I'm not going to throw out a stop now, because stops have getting, you know, you you don't know the market you're in, and I feel like stops have been getting triggered left and right. You get chewed up. Uh, so this is going to be a mental stop for me. A mental stop at seventeen. Have it on the radar. Falls below seventeen, I'm done. Um, that's my trade here in Palantir. So long from basically where we are right now in Palantir. There's my trade. Why not wait for confirmation, Shelly? Um, I could have. You're right. I could have. This is more of a case of me saying I, you know, I would take a shot down here, and now we're down here. A lot of times, Shelly, I say things. And then I put it off or I forget and I regret it. So this is me shooting first and asking questions later. So speaking of uh, earlier we were when we were talking about RSI and the different betting, betting stocks, we were talking about uh, the cost to acquire new customers and kind of the promotions and deals that companies were throwing out yep. um, to acquire th those customers. So I was reading uh, about Netflix. I do have these open Netflix calls until at least tomorrow morning. Netflix announced that it, it slashed its price for Netflix subscription in India to compete with Disney Plus uh, and, and some other services, Hulu, whatnot. Can you guess in, in U.S. dollar amounts what they cut their price to for in India to try to acquire some of this market share? Do you want to give me the hint as to what it was before, or is that too is that too much of a hint? Um, let me see. By the way, my biggest takeaway from watching Squid Game was holy cow the conversion rate 10,000 um Korean won oh yeah when they were talking about like 50 billion 10,000 is like eight dollars yeah <laughs> it's like holy crap anyway um you don't have to tell so me. in 2016 when Netflix launched uh in India, the plan started at seven fifty a month. Okay, so they just cut it from seven fifty. Uh, they might have cut it. Okay, before then. I'm gonna say four dollars. Two dollars and sixty one cents oh a month. Oh my gosh. Two dollars and sixty one cents a month. But what does that get you? That gets you whatever is on Netflix in India. I don't know. It says which could be nothing for all I know. It says uh, it, it is cutting its basic plan in India by sixty percent to one hundred ninety nine rupees, equivalent to two sixty one a month. Netflix has also lowered prices on its least expensive plan, which offers mobile only viewing to one ninety five monthly. It's mobile most... only viewing. Why the hell would you want that if you don't have a TV? If you're gonna, only going to be able to watch on your phone. Wait, anyway. can you do mobile only and then screencast to your TV? That's a that's a hack. Save some money right there. I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know if they have mobile-only plans in the U.S. Um, 
Oh, and, and wouldn't you know it, while I was talking about it, Netflix got a tiny little bounce. I needed to come. I can't believe it got all the way up as high as, as two. It was up more than two and a half percent earlier this morning. And, and part of the reason that I bought these calls um, was because it was just show Netflix was showing so much relative strength, not just against the overall market, but other fang big tech names. All right, Deepa says there is a, quote, ridiculous, unquote, amount of Indian original Netflix series. Okay. Obviously, we're not in India, so we, so we don't know. I believe you. Uh, Microsoft down 1.5%. Apple down 1%. Um, Netflix, we know, is up in the green. Amazon is down more than 2%. Who am I missing? Google down one percent facebook down oh wow facebook down three percent i wonder if that part of the reason why facebook's down more than other fang stocks is because they were announced as like the worst company of 2021 who said that it's a good question i think yahoo finance maybe they said facebook they said meta is like the worst company for like humanity of the year um yeah not the worst stock the worst company yeah and in, in yahoo finances Every December, Yahoo Finance selects a company of the year based on its market performance and its achievements that particular year. In uh, 2021, Microsoft took home the crown. Um, what? Wait, for the best or the worst? The best. Microsoft? Yep. Last year? Yep, smashing through the $2 trillion market cap and seeing a, 50 th- a 53 sur- 53% surge in its stock price as of December 16th, year to date. It wasn't Moderna or what? Vaccine companies. All right, you can take it up with Yahoo Finance. I will. Yahoo Finance, you'll Um, you'll be hearing from me. So yeah, then for on the on the flip side, on the worst company, Facebook, they're talking or Meta, they're talking about significant complaints of censorship. Um. All right, so here's what I want to know, Aaron, because like you guys know that I'm long Disney, and I I don't ever intend to sell my Disney, but uh, the more it falls. I've I've already bought in Disney on like two dips, okay. I've, I've averaged down twice. The more and I'm 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 not quite there yet, but the more it falls, the, the more I get into maybe buying more. I know I shouldn't. I have enough Disney as it is. Um, what is your take on Disney here? And I'll pull up a chart of Disney. So, um, so I I'm, I I think it'd be important to talk about on what. Uh, this is a long term thing for me, right? Yeah, in the long term, I like it. I mean, I think we will look back and say, "Oh, we could have gotten Disney at one forty-five when it was nearly at two hundred dollars a few months ago, one hundred percent." But um, just looking at the chart, if we don't uh, catch the support and come back up soon, it looks like we've got a lot further to fall down to about uh, one thirty, one twenty-five. So if I don't see, what's that previous? Like that, a couple that, weeks. No, no, no. Can you guy. zoom in? Yeah. The low was 142.04. So we're already. Oh, no. We haven't reached that low then? No, we're, we have not reached that low. Okay. So if we reach that low and we don't bounce, if we fall through that, um, I would expect Disney to keep coming down in the short term. Okay. Okay. I, I'm not doing anything. I got nothing going on here. I'm just, you know. Falling a lot. Someone in the chat asked about Fubo. Fubo was was one of the stocks that was up on Friday. Uh, it's, yeah, it had a good day Friday, popped off the open, and now you're having a hold. You haven't held. So not, not only did you not hold today's open, um, 
or yesterday or Friday's close. Um, but I, I, next level, I mean, if you want to take a long, your next level where I would put a stop out would be on Friday's low, which is what? Which is 15, 15, 18, 15, 18, right? Um, long term, who can say? Honestly, who can say? Short term, that'd be my setup on the long side. You go, you, you buy here, you stop out at 15, 18, because that was your most recent low. Um, there's not much else to say about it. Oh, here's some maybe longer term support. Um, a low in the mid, a couple lows in the mid 14s, one from May, one from a year ago. Um, there's nothing really to say about Fubo. I mean, it's in a long term downtrend. That's what I said on Friday. If you recall, I said it, I believe I said it on this show. Like, I would much rather look to fade the move in all these stocks that are up on Friday. Uh, Zoom, Fubo, Teladoc. Um, Yeah, I know over the weekend the COO of Fubo Gaming uh, resigned. I didn't know that. Yeah. All right. Thoughts on PayPal? Did it stop going down yet is my question. Did it stop going down? Let's pull up a daily. Yes, it did. Okay. All right. So that's that's notable. Cool. So I, I, I wasn't sure if we got all the way back down to those lows, but we have not gotten back down there yet. So there, this, is, this, this one's easy, right, Aaron? You've got how many lows in the same area? One, two. You've got like five lows all in the one, 179, 180 area, right? Yeah, like five lows from the from the first week of the month, so that that that's where I'd stop out, right? I'd, I I would always give myself some more room, so I would always if I was gonna go long PayPal here, I would say okay, long from one eighty two, stop loss at one seventy nine even or whatever, right? One seventy nine ten. I always you I I always go below the stop below the support, right? Just to give myself a little bit of flexibility. Um, and kind of, in some cases, prevent the washout. It it doesn't always work, right? I got washed out in a firm, and then it ripped on me, ripped in my face. But I always try to go below the support just to give yourself a little bit of room. So I would say you can go along here and with a stop at one seventy nine. Sure, that's not a bad setup. Um, although I don't know if today's if today's the day to do it. I don't know. PayPal stuff because like PayPal is like great company, right? Growing earnings, um, but it had this ridiculous run and it's gotten punished. Isn't PayPal also like a crypto play? Yeah, because they own Square. No, no, they own Venmo. They own Venmo. They own Venmo. You, ah. can, you can buy crypto on yeah. Venmo. I don't think a lot of people do that. Um. Yeah, Square owns Cash App, PayPal owns Venmo. I don't know. I mean, I, again, I think it all depends on what time horizon you're looking at. I think long-term PayPal uh, will continue to grow, and the stock yeah. price will reflect that. But yeah. right now, it, it is certainly in a downtrend, and I would maybe be waiting till we see some sign of reversal or confirmation to, to look to get back into it. Um, I'm curious, though. Like any, I'm just looking for like any stocks that are kind of like move. You know, any stock that's not just like straight down today. Like what's been like moving straight down or not straight down? Yeah. Um, lots of things have been not straight down. A lot of things popped off the open. I'm trying to find. Uh, 
Like Zoom is not straight down today, right? Yeah. It's up, it's down, it's up, it's down. Um, someone in the chat asked about Robin Hood. I, I would kind of throw the same logic, and I didn't, I didn't get to this point yet, but what, what I was going to say about PayPal is like, it's a crypto play. I feel like if crypto were to get hot, like hot, hot again, PayPal would catch a bid with that, and I think so would Hood, right? I think with Hood, your your easiest way to play this is like, wait till crypto gets super hot, whenever that is, right? Because we we know we know for a fact that Robinhood's business is correlated with um with 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 a uh, how would I how would I put that? It's correlated with a increased interest in crypto. They said it right. Q1, Q2 of last year, they saw a massive, massive growth in uh, trading activity on the platform in crypto specifically, right? So, I've What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Crypto were to get hot again, and I mean hot to the point of like every day it's crypto, 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 crypto. Um, then Robinhood's business will follow with that. Otherwise, I would just say wait for it to form a base. That, that's, that's, that's what I would say about Robinhood. Eventually, it will stop going down. Who can say if that's now or in a week or a month or a few months? But eventually, it will stop going down. Because um, Robinhood does have a real business. It's not like some of these SPACs. Uh, or I shouldn't just pick on SPACs. It's not, it's not like some of these companies out there that IPO'd in the last year or so that, 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 that don't have like a business or don't have any revenue or revenue five years out. Robinhood has revenue. They have a business. So, I don't know. It's like it's like most things. Probably have to wait and see at this point. But how's uh? Let's check on Activision Blizzard. Dude, they're all strong today. ATVI, Take Two, EA, they're all strong. I had calls on on ATVI, uh, Take Two, Take Two. I actually think I like a little bit more uh, in the video game space right now. Can I have your charger? Yeah. Thank you. They're all so strong today, and I don't know why. Not that I guess not that I care, but thank you. You know what's not strong is solar. So I'm looking at Sunrun right now. Opened down nearly ten percent. So so Sunrun's fifty-two week high. That was an easy one to predict. Is a hundred dollars. Now it's at thirty dollars. You, you knew, if you follow the news, you knew that solar would be down today. Solar and EVs would all be down today um, because of the apparent death, death of uh, Biden's spending plan, right? So you've got solar, you got EV stocks, um, all of them, right? Tesla, Go EV, Canoe, Rivian. Yeah, I wonder, if this is a, I wonder if this is a buying opportunity for some of the uh, charging infrastructure plays. Because, I mean, just think about it logically. We have... Uh, I, I want to say millions. I honestly don't know off the top of my head. How many gas stations are there in the U.S.? So what, what would be your go-to? Oh, QuantumScape would be your go-to, right? 
for charging no not for a charging network quantumscape is 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 more the technology oh, behind the a- actual batteries so what would be like clean what would be your no like plug power or charge point charge point that's when i was chpt that's what i was yeah. thinking of so okay. it, just thinking about it logically, if there are, well, I just did a quick Google, and it's saying there are 150,000 fueling stations across the U.S. That seems small. I would guess we would have had more than that. Anyway, there will need to be some sort of, of equilibrium between, uh, like, once we get enough electronic charging stations to really support uh, EV vehicles. So I think in the next 10, 20, 30 years that these charging stations will be one of the big growth opportunities, both uh, or, or like in terms of the stock market, which it's hard for me to, to try to determine now who will be the leader in this space. But definitely there are a few companies right now that are, are focused on that. Um, and I think what we've seen so far, Spencer, with solar is kind of what we've seen with cannabis is like, is like you can be too early, right? If you're too early, you're sitting on a loss for a very long time before you're you're back in the green. You're kidding. Um, so it, it, could it be that it's still too early to invest in some of these charging stations? Sure. But do I think in 20 years we'll have a EV charging station on the corner, on every corner, like we have gas stations? 100%. Um, yeah. And I think if you're going to buy, if you're going to take a flyer on like a high-growth EV charging station name, right, would you, would you want to – would you rather buy it – at all time highs, would you rather buy at all time lows? Charge point is at an all time or darn close to an all time low right now. The all time low I think is uh all time low is seventeen sixty. So with it we're within a dollar of the all time low. I'd rather buy it at an all time low, right? If I was taking a flyer on like a just taking a shot down field, Hail Mary, if it hits I'm golden. If it's if, if if I miss, I miss, knowing that I'll most likely miss. I'd rather buy it at an all-time low, personally, if it were me. I, I I've got a couple high growth names and I'm in it from uh, I'm in them from way higher than we are now. You know? Arc. Actually not Arc. Take that back. Um SoFi being the big one. Uh okay. It's twelve fifty six. Let's do a quick crypto update. Okay. This morning when we looked, it was all red. It is not all red now. Terra and XRP have turned green here. So that's something. Um, but as I said this morning... I don't really get alarmed. The eyebrows don't go up unless I see anything down, up or down, more than 10%. And as you can see here, nothing on the heat map is up or down more than 10% today. So I'm not really interested in any of this. But as always, you can get free Bitcoin. All you have to do is go to the Voyager app, download it, Use the offer code Zing, Z-I-N-G, fund your account with 100 bucks. make your first trade, and they will give you 50 bucks in Bitcoin for free. Check it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I think looking at the Bitcoin chart, right, we're in a, a downtrend. We're in a bear market. If we get down to this $41,000, $42,000 level, which we easily could by the end of the week, and we don't bounce off that level... 
I, I think it could be time to cut, to sound the alarms. I'd be selling any Bitcoin I had um, if we can't hold that support level because if we drop below that 41,000 level, there is certainly uh, a, a ways to go before the next support level. So uh, I, I don't know where everyone stands with Bitcoin right now. Ooh, BITW is my biggest holding, says Easy Mike. I don't know what that is. That's the ETF. That's the second one. Isn't it the second one? BITQ? Well, there's BITQ and there's BITO and there's BITO. And I don't know what BITW is. What's BITW? What, what is that, Easy Mike? I don't know. How is... I haven't looked at MSTR in a long time. How is MSTR doing? This is Michael Saylor, right? Yeah. Okay. I haven't looked at Michael's strategy in, in probably months. Probably not well. Yeah, it's down 23% in the last month. I have not looked at this chart. Full disclosure. That's actually not as bad as I would have thought. Well, it's, that's essentially what Bitcoin is down in the last yeah, month. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Fair enough. Huh. Yeah, I just don't know what the benefit... I mean, there, there's... in If we're talking about, like, gold, there's a, a benefit for trading in some of the gold mining companies compared to gold because say if you're in a, a bull market and you're long gold and you go long through some of the mining companies you can actually have better return than if you were just buying gold because you have uh the company's earnings revenue all these other aspects to, that factor into it that can make the stock price go higher than just what the gold price is i don't know if the same is true for for bitcoin or if it kind of just tracks if it kind of correlates more closely to bitcoin's actual price there are advantages Right. As was mentioned um, in the chat. Right. You can do options. You can do some fun. You, some, it's easier to short if you want to do that sort of thing. Right. You can do a do a leverage play. There are also added risks. Right. You are subject to the company risk, risk of the company's balance sheet, risk of company's leadership. There is no there's no balance sheet risk with Bitcoin. There is with with MicroStrategy. So I don't know. It, it's one of those things you got to weigh, weigh the pros and cons. There, there are both. Um, but it is 1 o'clock on a Monday, and after taking a week off, we are joined once again by Jake Wajastic, the co-founder of TrendSpider. They got all the charts. Jake, what's going on, man? It is going. Thank you guys for having me on. Uh, quite a market we're in, and uh, just trying to figure out what's, uh, what's kind of going on here. So um, I was going to say I can share some some charts here and kind of try to try to get an idea of what's going on. But at the end yes, of the day, please. you know, we, we kind of talked about this a little bit during the first week of December, just kind of the market definitely looking a little weak, Bitcoin looking weak. And, and then we did get get some pretty heavy selling across the broad markets, but more importantly, the uh, the growth names and just anything, anything that uh, had any type of bleeding during the year, it just was exacerbated uh, into December with tax loss selling. And uh, we just continue to see the markets uh, moving down, even the broad markets, which were really held up by, you know, a few names. And, and as those turned, the market turned with it. So, um, you know, the one thing that I'm kind of keeping an eye on for uh, the most part on SPY is just the daily chart and looking at the October low, and this is something I do a lot. So I like to look at the volume weighted average price. So if we were just yep. to look at the volume weighted average price without any type of bands on there, you know, we're definitely breaking below 
this volume weighted average price. Now, the thing that I'm, you know, not a huge fan of using this, this indicator, at least right now, uh, on SPY is notice how there's been times where you've broken down through it before. So you've, you've, it has, the price hasn't really respected it that well. Uh, so what I've done is I've added a, a percentage band. So that's essentially adding another VWAP X percent below the, uh, the original VWAP. And so I did about point negative, negative 0.9%. And that's simply to capture other times where the price action has respected this, this area. So we are actually breaking down through it. Notice that we did break down through it back in uh, early December as well intraday and then we moved up pretty hard into the end of the day but so far we are we would close below this area and that would be the first time that we do that since the october low and um you know we'll just have to see what happens into the rest of the week you know i i look at the markets as an equation you know if this breaks down then this is the next level to watch i'm not really trying to predict the markets you just need to look at levels and and really get an idea if this breaks down, then we got to look at this. If this breaks the upside, then maybe there's a gap above. That's the next level to watch. Um, so, so for me, the main thing on the weekly chart that's a little uh, discouraging is the fact that we finally are breaking down through this ascending uh, wedge here. So you can see here, I, I didn't start it exactly from the COVID mm -hmm. low because you do have, uh, you know, you have a lot more points on the chart. So when I'm drawing a trend zone or a trend line, I want to find as many points as possible. So one, two, three, and then we kind of have a cluster there, four, five, six, seven, and then we're finally breaking down now, which isn't the, uh, the best look for the market. Now, you know, you can have overshoots and undershoots, so that's, that's possible. It's only Monday. It is a short week, though, uh, with the markets closed on Friday which actually wasn't aware of. I thought we were going to have a full week. So that was uh, something that I learned over the weekend. Uh, and, you know, we're kind of going into that Thanksgiving low liquidity week again. You've got, you know, conveniently all this, the, this news coming out with variant stuff during a week that's incredibly uh, thought of as a low liquid period. And a lot of people, you know, a lot of people keep saying Santa Claus rally. The Santa, if you know a, a simple Google search will tell you the Santa Claus rally isn't even you know technically until after Christmas. So yeah, for those that were expecting a huge Santa Claus rally or calling it that, you know that generally does not happen until after Christmas into the first couple of days of the new year. So for those that are looking for that rally, you wouldn't find it in a in a different year either, because typically it is towards the end of December into the early parts of January. So. For now, uh, you know, it, not a lot of positive things to talk about. The only thing I would say is Bitcoin's holding, I guess, relatively speaking to its previous lows from a couple of weeks ago. But, you know, even this, we're starting to kind of creep down to the 45s, the 46s, which, you know, were kind of like crazy to think about a couple of weeks ago. And now, you know, now people are ha happy that we're holding 46K when before that was like, that was like, holy crap, we're at 46K. So Bitcoin is starting to break down. If you look at this longer term trend, I've got the log chart on. So if you are looking at Bitcoin on this longer term time frame and you don't have log on, you're not going to see this trend line. Um, I like to use the log scale chart, especially when you've got this big of a range. I mean, if you look from the COVID low to the uh, the highs that we saw even here uh, back in November, 
that's a 1600% move. If you're using, if you're not using log scale, your, your scale is going to be really funky and you, you just want to use linear scale when you've got a much smaller price range on the chart. So anything like under 20%, you know, linear scale makes sense. But if you're looking at gains of hundreds or thousands of percent, you definitely want to turn on the log scale because it will give you a much more uh, proportional chart to the price action. Does not get mentioned enough. Good call out there, Jake. Yeah, it's just you know one of those things where I get a lot of those questions, and and it's a valid question, uh, very valid question. But that's the reason why I use log scale on most of my charts because most of the charts I'm looking at have a pretty big price range. Uh, so Bitcoin breaking down. Remember we talked about in early December. If Bitcoin's looking weak, I don't have a lot of confidence in the market uh, to be strong. And, right. and that's kind of what we, we've, uh, we've had here. We had the divergence play out. So if you guys remember that monthly chart, we had that divergence playing out where we had the higher highs over the last uh, year and a half or so, or maybe a little a year and two months or so. And then if you guys remember, we, we pulled up the Williams percent range 12 and we had that divergence. So these higher highs one time, so higher high in November, excuse me, start in November, higher high in February of 2021. That's your first divergence. Second divergence is your high in February connected to the high in September of, uh, excuse me, October of 2021. Uh, this was the highest close. That's why I'm connecting it here, even though we had a higher high in November. And uh, you'll see this is the second part of that double negative divergence. So you've got two times we're hitting higher highs, two times we're hitting lower highs, and at least for now, you know, we're not we're not anywhere near oversold on the Williams percent range uh, 12. I'm using 12 because we're on the monthly chart and I want to look back um, one year. But it's it's one of those times where it's like, you know, it may be time to just call it call it uh, for the year and, and enjoy the holiday because there's going to be a lot of craziness this week. I, Joe Biden's coming out with some speech. Who knows what that's going to be about tomorrow? Um you know, the the way to kind of look at this in a contrarian way is is essentially thinking, OK, well, the markets have definitely pulled back due to the Fed mentioning tapering and mentioning interest rate hikes. And notice notice what they did. They they pretty much said they're going to raise interest rates three times in 2022 and then up to three times in 2023. They don't even know what they're going to do next month. So these numbers are essentially cushioned for them. So then next year, when the market, who knows, the economy could be really bad because of whatever variant comes again, or, you know, that's an excuse to close down the economy. Um, that increases the likelihood of them probably not being as aggressive on tapering in interest rates. But since they put it out there, now they can now they can take it back. They're actually kind of strategically, I think, doing this because now, even if they raise once, the market's already essentially priced in three times next year and this tapering. So it's going to give the market a little bit of flexibility there if they do decide to pull back on this. I think tomorrow's a big, you know, a big speech because if they say they're going to lock down the economy again, which I just, at least where I live, I can't see that happening or as some other, you know, places like Texas and Florida, I don't think anyone's going to follow it. Uh, you don't even have people following it in Denver. So, you know, I think, I think the speech tomorrow is what the market's waiting on. And the fact that it's already a low liquidity week and the uh, and the uncertainty into tomorrow is is causing the markets to sell off. But Bitcoin is actually holding above 46K. I thought with the market crashing, Bitcoin would probably be at 44 or less today. So that's 
something to keep in mind on the bullish side of things. Um, but it, it's really hard to have too much of a bias either way right now because it's just so choppy. Yeah, um, I, I'm with I'm with you. I'm with you on that, Jake. And we could debate all, all we want about like you know a, a lockdown and and will it happen? And if it does, would people would would uh, people follow? But frankly, I, I kind of think the market is is looking past all of that. You know what I mean? I kind of feel like for, first off, I, I I I was in the camp of like, oh, this is all the Fed. This is nothing. This is not Omicron. This is all the Fed. 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 Well, now we're past the Fed and. We're into a period of lower volume, like you said, and and it seems like it, the 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 theme of the day is, is Omicron. But I I don't know. I I, I kind of still feel like the market is just not. I don't know. I just I can't see this being like like a long term theme. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think it's definitely shorter term. Um, but yeah. I think the problem is is I don't know if I mentioned this before. I mentioned on a couple of Twitter Spaces, but you've got this weird paradigm of of selling uh for profits and for tax loss selling so imagine that you have not touched your your any position this year towards the end of the year this is when you start looking at netting out your account you're looking at okay do i take gains here and i take my losses here so if you've got these stocks with huge gains this year you're going to see people start selling those to take the profits to lock those profits in to offset the gain, uh, the losses that they're taking in all these growth names. So you actually have this double-edged sword where you have selling in the the strong names this year, so people realize those gains. But then you also have selling in the uh, in the growth names, and these names have gotten smacked down the whole year and continue to get smacked down because people want to realize those losses and offset them. So it's kind of this this double whammy here where you've got not only selling from tax loss selling, but selling to realize those gains so you can offset those losses with realized gains into the end of the year. And that doesn't end for uh, a few more trading days or several more trading days. So we could just see this tax loss selling and kind of tax gain realizing into uh, next week. Yeah, that's a really I've, – I've been wondering like – what the what the turn of the calendar is going to mean when all that the you won't be able to hide behind tax law selling anymore you know yeah. uh and i've been wondering if there will be a rally once we once we get past it and it turns out oh yeah that actually was a thing it turns out people were just selling all, all their losers for taxes or we just keep on being weak and turns out it was not tax law selling that was just an excuse so i don't know we'll find out in a couple of weeks we will. And I mean, Ethereum, I mean, it looks incredibly weak right now. That's why I'm like, that's why I'm very cautious in the market right now. And just having to take losses, I've gotten chopped up a little bit, but thankfully have kept uh, a majority yeah. of the gains for the year uh, because I kind of sized in a lot smaller than I was when I was going really aggressive earlier in the year. So that that's kind of saved uh, some of the profits for the year for me. But, you know, a lot of people have just been playing the game like it's been played the last 18 months. And it's, I always go back to blackjack. If you're playing blackjack and you're in the table's really hot, you're winning on every hand, regardless of what the, the, the dealer's flipping, mm. then, you know, that's great. You're, you're playing the game, right. But then it, if the table switches and the table becomes cold and you're still playing that same, uh, that same strategy, you're going to lose all of your, all of your gains. It's the same thing. If the market's hot, you know, your strategy works great. If the market cools off and you're still playing the same position size, you're still playing the same stop losses and all of these things, 
you're just going to lose everything that you gained because you're not adapting with, with the market and, and, you know, it being hot or cold. So uh, I, I think a lot of people have gotten hit pretty hard this year uh, because of that. And on top of that, crypto, you know, crypto has been holding up uh, a lot of people's gains for the year. Uh, and if that starts to tank, then that's really going to be interesting. I mean, Ethereum is is what a lot of people look at, you know, sometimes even over Bitcoin. And Ethereum looks horrible right now. I mean, this looks like this looks like a month ago for Bitcoin. You've got this first initial candle. You've got this starting to tick down right now on the Williams percent range. I mean, I could see Ethereum getting down to uh, at least thirty five hundred. And if if that breaks, you know, I could probably see it getting down to this VWAP uh, in the in the 25 to even less area. So, I mean, I don't have crypto. I'm not I don't short it. I use it as a risk on risk off indicator and a proxy in the market. So sure, sure. I don't really care where it goes. But just an unbiased eye looking at the chart, you know, we have a lot of profits that people have that they could start selling off and, and make this really ugly. Um, All right. Jake, let's move away from crypto for a second and let's go into some stocks here. Any stocks that are on your radar in in this quiet week or or not really? Not really. I mean, I'm kind of taking the week off. Um, The one thing I would mention is is IWM is breaking down through some pretty crucial levels. So, I mean, if people are interested in, you know, shorting, uh, this would probably be where a lot of people start shorting. Because if you look at just these previous levels of support, you know, it depends on where you draw the line, but we're, we're getting pretty close to hitting support here. So for longs, if this holds, then maybe it could be uh, a long. But I think a lot of people are forgetting, especially if you're trading options, um, you have to look at the VIX because the VIX going up 20%, 25%, and then you go look and see, oh, well, my IWM calls are down from where they were an hour ago at a higher spot price. You have to look at the VIX. The VIX is really affecting the the options pricing. So you you know you could even buy this dip, but then you look at the VIX. It's up twenty percent. So if the market rips tomorrow and the VIX tanks fifteen percent, your contracts may not move depending on what what expiration and what uh, strike you have. So that's something to keep in mind. Just for those that don't pay attention to the VIX, you you definitely should if you're if you're trading options. But yeah, IWM is one I'm keeping my eye on. I mean, you know, this has been an area that has had bounces in the past. But, you know, the question is, is this too obvious? Are too many people looking at this and it just gets blown right through? Uh, we'll have to see. But uh, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. I'm actually keeping more of an eye on the indices because you're not going to have as much uh, kind of localized supply and demand issues. What if you're in a stock? that has a really big shareholder or someone that's got a big position who just keeps dumping shares on the market to take their tax loss sale. It doesn't matter what the market's doing. If that that individual or that institution is making the market because they keep just dumping shares to get this tax loss locked in, then you're going to have essentially uh, you know an issue with that individual name. So I'm actually looking at more of the indices right now because you don't have as much of that that kind of uh, that localized right. so, selling. So I, I want to know your. You got the Russell up right now. That to me is everything. So I want to know your take on the Russell because this is this is the market. Yeah, yeah. For now, it seems to be. So right now, I would definitely pull up the weekly chart and show oh, that. No. You know, oh no. 
kind of like what we just talked about on SPY. We're breaking oh. down through this area. Now I have a little bit of a slanted line here just to lock in. Cause when I draw a zone, I want to have as many data points on there. It just makes that zone more important and more relevant. So, you know, this thing's been touched so many times and the fact that we're breaking down through it, you know, you could pull out the horizontal levels and say, well, technically, you know, we're not below this previous area here yet. Uh, so people who use uh, horizontal levels, which a lot of people do for price action, you know, this, this could move down to the up, you know, the lower 200s and still be uh, holding the the pattern for horizontal traders. But uh, for me, you know, we're breaking down through a pretty important area right here. And I just, I don't know. I just, I, this is definitely a, a time in the market where it is incredibly hard to even get an idea or anything of what's going on. You just have a lot of these weird variables in play. You've got the stimulus or build back better America or whatever it's called. That's being, you know, tossed out or being talked about, uh, you know, uh, who is it? Munchen or whoever, Manchin, Manchin. whoever, Manchin, yeah. Munchen, yeah. I, I can't keep track. They're all the same to me too. Don't worry, Jake. Yeah. So this guy's pulling out. So not only do you have all of that liquidity that the market was thinking that was going to be there from all this stimulus gone, Omicron, possibly lockdowns. You just have this really weird kind of perfect storm right now. So I'm, I'm definitely not going to be aggressive until, you know, an edge presents itself um you know I've, I've chopped up some of the year's profits in one account the other account uh has held decently well just because i i wanted to be pretty conservative but you know if you think you're out there and this is something i think is good for a psych psychology side of things you know don't think that you're alone in in losing you know some people say oh i played puts whatever look at the average person over the last six weeks i guarantee that 90 percent or more are having a really tough time on top of uh you know maybe a few people who played the puts correctly. So, you know, just don't, just don't beat yourself up. If it's been a rough few weeks, I can promise it's been uh, a very rough time for a lot of people in the market uh, right now. And, and that's just the market we're in. And, you know, sometimes you just got to know when to pull back, lower your position sizes and, and just let the market do its thing before, before having too much conviction. And that's why I asked about the Russell, because that to me is an indicator, because the Russell is so diversified and made up of so many stocks that the Russell is not going to rally on the back of five stocks. It yeah. just isn't. Yeah. Um, even like AMC is the largest holding in the, in the, in the Russell, and AMC is like 1.4%, right? So it ain't going to rally off AMC either if AMC goes to the moon. So the Russell is your indicator for all these stocks, all these beaten down stocks. And if that's going to break through, you know, uh, support, then then that's not a good sign for bulls. We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Um, yeah, and AMC, you know, AMC had a little pop today. It's so funny to me when they come out with these statistics. They're like, oh, you know, highest sales since this. <laughs> but they don't tell you that ticket costs are twice as much as they were when they took that last record. So uh, inflation is definitely a big problem. And I think it's become such a big problem where the Fed is tied, you know, tied up where they're like, yeah, we want to support the market, but if we keep doing that, inflation's going to get to the point where it's, you know, going to cause even more massive problems than it already is. So, so yeah, I mean, you know, AMC, you had your meme stock rip on this one on Friday, still in this kind of downward sloping channel, but um, 
you know, I Spotify was one that I'm kind of looking at. It's kind of holding these Ooh. higher lows. Um, I have this one as a longer term investment rather than a trade. I actually cut GRWG for a tax loss event. So at least I know that I Whoa. participated in that a little bit. It, it made more sense to me to take the loss and look at it in 30 days and offset some gains than try to be uh, try to be a hero there. So um, Spotify is kind of my longer term one I like right now. But even this one, you know, it's 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 hard to say. You, you can't really look at the weekly candle right now because it's Monday and not even half the day barely has gone by. But I just don't like when you open in a previous wick. That is kind of like a no-no for me. So the fact that it's doing that kind of invalidated even that decently strong setup um, into this week. So, you know, a lot of these a lot of these setups are looking like more medium-term, couple week out shorts than long. So um, I prefer to just go cash and wait for a long setup and and really be, have conviction than then try to like flip flop between strategies. But for those that do play puts, this is definitely the market for uh, the put players right now. All right. We've got a few minutes left with Jake. Drop your tickers in the chat. Wow, Jake, take a look. Uh, P Lit. Okay. I see you, P Lit. He wants you to talk about Tesla. Tesla. Yeah. Let's do it. A lot of people are watching this one. So I have Tesla on the weekly and then we'll go on the daily. But for me, it's kind of interesting. I posted something this weekend, kind of X marks the spot. And that was simply just to highlight, you've got this previous uh, horizontal level here from, from January early in this year. And then you can see that we broke out and that was kind of your main breakout area in, in late October, early November. And now we're pulling right back to this area. But on top of that, we also have this diagonal zone here that's kind of meeting right in the middle. So it wouldn't shock me to, and who know, and Elon Musk right now is doing his thing. So that's that's kind of that what that localized selling. I mean, if Elon Musk is selling, he's adding supply onto the market. If if a big player in another stock is just dumping, it doesn't matter what the charts are doing. If they're the main source of supply that's outpacing demand, you're just going to keep getting uh, selling pressure. And so that's what's happened with Tesla big time that's kind of killed the sentiment for probably people who want to buy the dip on Tesla. Cause they're like, well, I don't want to be buying Elon Musk's shares. So, you know, I could see this going down to why, the, the, why mid- not? They're, they're lucky. They're lucky shares. Yeah. We'll, we'll call it that. <laughs> uh, you know, so, so from a, just a confluence point, yeah, it would make sense for maybe a bounce within 50 bucks. Maybe it gets down to, the gap below. So that's when we'll pull in the, uh, the daily chart and you'll see, we still have this gap below from when this thing really started going and that's in the the eight forties. So it's really hard for me to think that we're just going to continue to move straight down, uh, because you generally want to have some type of little pop. So shorts can cover and then reshort. Uh, but we're in a market where, uh, you don't necessarily get those pops to get out. You just kind of continue to, to move down. So, we filled the earnings gap uh, Friday, and then we're starting to break down through that point. So it would make sense for me for this to move to the 850s, 840s to fill that gap uh, okay. before I even reevaluate re- it. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I don't, need, I don't really play Tesla. I don't play the options because I don't like playing short-term options, and I don't like playing two- to three-month-out options because they're like 10 grand a piece sometimes. So... 
I'd rather uh, not do that because I like to scale in and scale out. But this is one I like to also keep an eye on just for sentiment. You know, Tesla's been a pretty good indicator of market strength and market weakness. So it's another one I kind of use like Bitcoin as a proxy sometimes to get an overall idea of what's what the market's kind of looking like. But All right, we, we got a lot of tickers here and not a lot of time to do them. So do we're going to have to go quick, Jake. Uh, we talked about that one already. Let's do, okay, SoFi for Jim Cruz. SoFi. Yeah, this one's actually holding pretty well. I mean, if you're looking at the longer term or the, I don't even want to call this longer term because it's only uh, since December of 2020, about a year. But if you want to call it the primary trend is broken. You know, so so maybe do we get a pop up to the 15s, which is this previous zone? So previous support maybe acting as resistance. Maybe I think they had an upgrade today from or maybe someone initiated a, a buy for like twenty dollar uh, price target. I don't remember who it was, but, you know, this is this is not a market that's really going to react to that type of thing right now. You know, the the market's weak. You're not going to really have that. uh that spike like you usually would if the market was strong and everyone piled into this uh, with the new price target. But yeah, this one's tough. I mean, you're breaking down, not really one that would be on my radar here. You can see that it doesn't really like to respect these, these zones either. So I had a symmetrical triangle that we tried to break out of. You had this whipsaw effect, you broke out, pulled all the way back down. Now you're kind of the exact same area on the opposite side of the symmetrical triangle. So for me, it's a dead one for now. Okay. Uh, T Searing D holds a lot of shares of BNGO, Jake. Um, BNGO. Any, any thoughts on on B BNGO? Was his name? Oh. oh. <laughs> um. Yeah. I, I. I'm not familiar at all with this company. I mean, but just looking at the chart, this is not something that I would you know, go long. I mean, if you turn on the, the uh, gap detection here, you have a lot of gaps below still. You've got a gap here at 75 cents. You've got a gap here at 150. You've got the gap here at 350 that just filled a couple, a week and a half ago. So I, I mean, I just, I don't know what the market cap is. I have no idea what this stock does. So I don't know, is dilution, did it happen already? Are they, you know, is the market maybe thinking they're going to dilute? Biotechs, or I guess this is yeah. genomics, but any yeah. anything in that industry is really hard, especially after you've had this big of a move up. This is the price point where these companies will take advantage of of an offering because it's still up from you know the beginning of this year. When the, let's see, this or I guess maybe it's, geez, okay, so it's it's down for the year now. So I guess uh, it's down like holy moly. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. down fifty six percent. Even though I thought that was gonna be like five percent, and this is this is a great time to look at log scale versus linear, right? So, if you turn off the log scale, you know this looks a lot different because each one each dollar is the same amount on the the y axis. Whereas if you turn it on log scale, it's a function of actually percentages. So you know a one dollar move in the next two days or whatever is not going to be the same as a dollar move down here when it was trading at 51 cents. So just an example of when you want to use log scale, this would definitely be one you want to use log scale on, but not looking incredibly strong to me. 
Okay, let's do one more real quick, Jake, and we'll do... What was the one that I wanted to do? Uh, oh, yeah, Affirm. Sweatband oh. TV's got puts in Affirm. All right, yeah, Sweatband. Really, I don't blame them. Uh, yeah, I... What not Affirm, like, buy now, pay later? Like, didn't we learn yeah. that that didn't work too well in 2007 to 2009? That's, look, I thought that, like... I When I first heard about Affirm, I was like, wait a minute, isn't this just Rent-A-Center? But for other stuff and not furniture, and that's not a great model, I thought. But I, I, get, I don't know, man. I don't, yeah, well, I, everyone loved it about you know a month ago, and now not so much. Another one that I, I think is probably just going to get continue to get sold off because I think you've you've got uh, people that are still you know that bought down here in the in the May June area July that had a lot of profit, probably selling it off to to offset losses elsewhere. Um, and if I were to guess, you know, this, this trend zone below is not until you get to the seventies. So I don't know. It's, it's not holding horribly today, but you do have this gap below around 69. We technically filled this gap Friday and Thursday. So this gap is kind of closed now. So yeah, we'll have to see. And if you guys do want to like extend these gaps, if we do this like a five, gap factor five, we'll probably just show this one. Yeah. So if you guys are using the gap snake on TrendSpider and you want to know when this gets filled, uh, sometimes you'll have that weird connection where it's connecting the other ones. But if you want like a bigger gap like this to extend all the way to the right, just choose the uh, just choose a larger gap factor. So it's only looking for the huge gaps in price. So if, I forgot who you mentioned has puts right now, but if you had puts and you want to be alerted when the gap starts to fill, You've got the alert here whenever the price starts to enter this area, then you'll know got it. it's starting to enter that gap. But also not one that looks great. Sorry Jake to be Wujastic. negative. No, that's okay, man. All you can do is give us your take. Uh, Jake Wujastic is the co-founder of TrendSpotter. I, I had the offer code up on the screen for like 20 minutes there. I'll put it up again. BZ25. Get you 25% off. Jake, um, I, I'll be out next week. So uh, if I don't talk to you... Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We'll see you again in the new year. All right. Hey, we both had a big year this year. So, uh, we yeah, did no, indeed. A lot, of things, net, a lot to be thankful for. So, have a great holiday as well. And, um, all right. We'll see. Uh, we'll see you Same when we to see you. Have a good one, Jake. Hey, real fast, before we bring on our next guest, I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Yes, I'm talking about Nightscope. Nightscope's fully autonomous security robots have generated over $13 million in lifetime sales and a million hours of field operation. Nightscope recently announced the commencement of their Reg A Plus offering. They have over 28,000 investors and over $100 million already raised. Nightscope is reimagining public safety at a time when the nation needs it. To learn more about Nightscope's offering, go to the link that's in the chat and on the screen. It's Nights, sorry, it's startengine.com slash Nightscope. I'll put it up on the screen right there so y'all can actually see what I'm talking about. I think I have it. Should have. There it is. Startengine.com slash Nightscope or click on the link in the chat. Click on the link in the description. Check it out. And now it is 1.33. We are running late, but that's okay. I see our next guest, AB. Who do we got? We've got Chris Capri, our oh. man from Second Skies Trade. We're going to be talking some options and some more technicals. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and bring Chris on. 
Who's bringing Chris? Am I bringing Chris on? I, I guess I can. Oh, I didn't know you didn't. Okay, there he is. How's it going? <laughs> What's up? <laughs> I was just hanging there for a second. I was like, uh, yeah, I know. I've, you I got, you got stuck in the metaverse. I didn't. Oh, uh, okay. Zuckerberg heard me talking down about his metaverse, so he probably delayed that uh, that pop on there. So I get it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah, well, 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 once we get the metaverse more figured out, we'll, we'll have some more seamless intros. Um, Chris, how you doing? How's your weekend? Not bad. Uh, I'm moving my girlfriend in, so it's just kind of been a busy, crazy weekend. But other than that, uh, things are good. Oh, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Still got lots to unpack and things like that, so kind of going through that. So this will be my last Benzinga show of the year, so I'm looking forward to kind of ending this one off strong. It's uh a uh, unique day in the markets right now, and I think it's kind of setting things up for a very tricky rest of the year. Yeah, u- unique day to say the least. I mean, we we had we pretty much opened all red across the board, and we've had a few names um, sh- show a little bit of strength throughout the day, but not really. So, so let me uh, go ahead and pull your screen up, see what we're looking at, and see what's kind of just on your radar right now. So, real briefly, I just want to cover what's going on with the overall market, spies and VIX. Uh, then when I want to get an IWMs, I want to look at a firm, which you were talking about earlier, uh, Ford and Apple as well. And if we have time for Tesla, we'll cover that. So, all right. So here's the deal in breaking down the options landscape and kind of the positioning that's going on. So we had a lot of positive gamma last week in spies, but we had 30% of the SPX options roll off this December OPEX that just happened last Friday. So that took a lot of options off the table. And we've now entered into negative gamma. We opened in negative gamma to start the week, which is not a good sign. Positive gamma means the market's a net long options. That means that you know the markets tend to be supported. Dealers are providing you know liquidity and stability. They're buying dips and they're selling rips, which creates that kind of supportive environment. But a negative gamma environment means the market's a net short options. And dealers tend to, option dealers tend to destabilize the markets. They start trading with it and that increases volatility. So as we sell off, they sell. As we buy up, they buy up. And that increases that two-way volatility. We've opened in negative gamma right off the bat. And we've also, and that was really, you know, gamma really started to shift around 459 and a half. So that's where the market flips to kind of a net negative gamma environment. And we're just sitting there, you know, we have not had any lift off whatsoever. We are not, as of right now, seeing traders commit to calls at or above 4,600. And that means that traders aren't really bullish right now. If they were, they'd be buying above, they'd be buying calls above the current price and further out. And we're just not seeing that right now. We're not seeing calls really come in in droves. And so that is creating some weakness. So SPY is kind of in the situation now where it's in negative gamma, as long as it's below 460, roughly 460 and a quarter. Let me get my pen out here to kind of demonstrate this a little further, but come on, Ben. There we go. This is really going to be, as long as we remain in negative gamma, 460 is resistance and 450.05 down to like 449.50. That's really going to be the support for right now. Now, liquidity is obviously coming out of the markets as the week goes on. So, you know, in some sense, that is helpful and hurtful. It's helpful that a lot of people aren't going to be necessarily coming in and selling, which would exacerbate the downside, but it's also hurtful because it doesn't provide that supporting liquidity. So I think traders need to be watching these levels very seriously. If we get a daily close below this, 
that opens up a whole new can of worms to the downside. Traders need to be watching spies to make sure that it recovers 460 this week if they want any chance of an end of your rally. So until that happens, we're going to be stuck in this 460, 450 range for right now. Um, with that being said, we have to look at VIX. You cannot look at spies without looking at VIX. VIX opened up, but it's also been kind of holding at the top. Now, this is where things could actually get interesting. If VIX starts to break down and close this gap down to 22s, then that means that traders haven't really committed to buying long puts. In other words, they haven't committed to buying downside protection. And that should create actually, if VIX does then start to sell off, that actually should create a lift in spies and may get us back over the 460 hump, which is what we want. So what traders want to see is this VIX continue to break down, get into the 22s. If VIX was ripping, we'd be worried about, you know, the Vanna trade working against us. Vanna is Delta. It's the Delta the rate of change of Delta as implied volatility changes. And so if implied volatility, if VIX is ripping up, that obviously changes deltas and hedging impacts for dealers. If it's going down, it has the other effect of that. So it's obviously changing impact for dealers, implied volatility coming down. We're not seeing that, which is a good sign so far. You know, if VIX started ripping 27, 28, 29, that means traders are buying put protection. Spies would be pressing those 450s very, very quickly. So we're not seeing that, and VIX is starting to break down, which means that there isn't quite a fear trade on yet. And if it continues to break down, that should give spies the lift because we're not seeing those long puts and push the market down or anything like that. So, so far, what I'm seeing now in VIX has been constructive and helpful. We still needed to get back down here to really stabilize spies a little bit. But so far, VIX breaking down is helpful. Again, gets back down to 22s, close the gap, 21s and 20s. Then you should see spies lift probably back up to close to that 460. And so really, we should be watching these two to see what's going on. And look right now, as you can see, as VIX is rolling over, what do you see spies doing? Getting a little lift. Yeah. Let's and, go and, and as Q, we Q, speak. Q right now, yeah, as we speak, QQQ has gotten a nice little uh, bounce to it. looks like all the, the major FANG stocks have moved up a little bit in the past 10, 15 minutes or so. Yes. And so, you know, keep your eyes on VIX. If VIX continues to sell off, then that will relieve the, the pressure. The, the, the challenging environment for spies right now is that, you know, puts have more of an impact upon in a negative gamma environment. So like in negative gamma environment, it's important to understand that news, news and fundamental events, they matter more when we're in a negative gamma environment. In a positive gamma environment, news events get absorbed much more easily. But in a negative gamma environment, they exacerbate the flows. And so the Omicron variant didn't help. The Build Back Better obviously didn't help. You know, it seems like the market is trying to digest that. And they're trying to see, hey, are people buying more protection, which will push this markets down? So far, that hasn't fully materialized. So as long as VIX keeps lowering down, which is really nice to see right now, then that should give a little bit of a boost. It's a question of how much can we get it back up to the 460? If we get it back up to 460 and then we see option traders start to buy calls 460, 462, 465, then that would suggest that the markets are saying, okay, we're done worrying about this kind of Omicron build back better flop thing, you know, going on. We're ready to get bullish on spies and then push it towards the end of the year. But if we don't see them committing to those calls, then we're going to be stuck in that 460, 450 range. Because then there's just, there's just not enough gamma in positioning right now to really 
push the markets out of the way. And it's just going to really be driven by these kind of short-term flows and spies and uh, VIX. Yeah, I mean, so I'm just I, I I don't know if there's any like singular catalyst for why right now we, we'd be seeing like a, a a little bounce in SPY or in QQQ or the VIX rolling over, or if it's just like you said, like people saying, hey, maybe this Omicron uh, build back better. All those all those things maybe aren't as big of a deal as we thought. Yeah, and so you know, I mean, keep in mind, you know, I think everything right now is going to be a little exacerbated because of the low liquidity. I think things are going to be a little bit more sensitive over the next few days. I'm not committing to any heavy positions. Like I, at this point, I'm kind of like, I, you know, I told my students, I'm like, look, unless I see a like super A plus cherry trade or something like that, I just don't have any interest in committing capital right now to anything. So, you know, I'm looking at it as like, I'm kind of done for the year. You know, at this point, I don't want to be trading up till Christmas or after Christmas in poor liquidity conditions. And so I just kind of want to let this play itself out. You know, if I'm if you're really worried about it, like let's say you have a long spy position or you have a long stock position and you're worried that things can deteriorate, you can always sell calls to buy put protection, to finance your put protection. So you sell calls further up and you use that to buy some put protection. And if the market does sell off, those puts will be monetized. Your calls will make money. You'll keep your premium for your calls. Your puts can be monetized. And that helps, you know, adjust some of your downside risk. But other than that, I'm not seeing anything that's really jumping out to me as a really strong ticker. With that being said, I do want to go over a few charts if you're if you're down for that. Let's do it. Okay, you're talking about IWMs. IWMs is in this very interesting situation. So where are we are right now? 210. And the low end day was 209. Okay. So IWMs has a little bit of rate of change in the gamma to where if we get into like say 204, 205, then the gamma actually increases to such a degree that dealers actually might start buying a little bit or at least unwinding their short hedges. However, if we see IWMs get to like 203, 201, then it really would probably put an accelerator on the selling because then dealers actually flip their hedging requirements to start selling IWMs. So when I look at IWMs, it's in this kind of fragile situation. If it loses like this right around here, if it loses 204, which is just below this little weak lows here, then we could have a pretty quick run down to 190, which is really the next base of support. And so... You see that right there. Resistance here, support, support, support. And it's also where this pullback launched and created this leg up here. So this is really key. It kind of is getting towards the Alamo <coughs> for IWMs. That if it keeps drifting lower and loses 204, you should see 200 quick. And if it loses 200, then you should see 190 pretty quick before you know hedging requirements force dealers to unwind some of their short positions or short hedges on that. So, you know, it had one week of, yay, we're in a new highs. And then it just immediately sold back off. And investors really did not come in with any forcing. We want to buy it. We want to buy it. We want to buy it. They just did. They tried here and it's already lower on that. So we're eating through a lot of this support here. We're eating through the bids there, but there isn't much left. And so IWM is in a very precarious position. You know, it is a wide range of stocks, but if you look at a lot of the holdings in there, a lot of them weren't profitable companies. A lot of them lost money on the year. 
So I think people are saying like, look, this is not a great trade right now. I wouldn't want to be long small caps as a whole. There may be a few individual tickers that are great, you know, for a day or two, like Sopa was today or something like that. But by and large, you know, small caps are not holding their weight really well. Spies are still close to the all-time highs. Q's is only a little bit below that. IWM's is way back where it was back in February. It's at the February lows. So it's the weakest of them right now. And so traders should be cautious on this. Moving on to a firm. Somebody asked about a firm. I've been watching a firm. So the key you have to be watching on a firm is this channel. And so uh, during the Benzinga Option School webinar we did recently, somebody asked me about a firm. I said, look, trade the channel for now. But what we're seeing is something a little bit different. Every time we've gotten to the edges of this channel, it's been a pretty quick turnaround. This is a four-hour chart. You know, so you're talking two to four candles that hung there, and that's it. And that's pretty much it. But now we're seeing it hang at this level for one session, two sessions, and now three sessions. And that means it's just not getting the buy-ups that it, you know, it's wanted. And when I look at the option positioning on a firm, I look at it like now resistance has actually come down from, say, the 110s to now about you know, a hundred area. So I, I think that trader was looking for long puts. Um, and so when I look at that, I think that's a great idea to be long puts. Earliest I would be looking to get long puts is between 100 and 101. And so I think that's a great area to be looking at long puts. Um, let's see here. Uh, okay. Moving on to the next one, Ford. Ford has been a great stock this year. Do I want to be buying Ford at these levels? No, but I do want to be buying it lower around 17. I think Ford is a really good long-term play. I'm probably going to take some leaps on Ford if we can get back to this low 17 area. It had a great burst, but then immediately selling after that, and it wasn't able to hold the gains outside the range. That means it overshot. You're going to have some short-term traders that are going to try and hold the line, but a lot of medium-term traders are going to see that fake out and be like, yeah, it wasn't able to hold the gains. I'm out. And so I look at Ford and I feel like it could roll back down to about 17, maybe 16 before the dealer hedging requirements are kind of in a situation where they actually need to start unwinding their short hedges and start buying Ford. So for me, Ford is a buy between 1622 and about 1740. And so for a medium-term, long-term, it's great. If we hold there and the market's not selling off drastically, then I think that's also a good short-term play in there as well. Uh, and then the last one I'm looking at, Apple. So Apple, while 170 is okay, I really like it a lot better at 160. And I think at 160, it becomes a good medium-term buy. So 160 is right about here. Let me mark this on the four hour chart so we can take a look at this and kind of see what I'm looking at. So you see how all, there's all this price action and liquidity around this 160 area? Yep. There's going to be a lot of options at that price. There's going to be a lot of open interest at that price, you know, short term, medium term and long term. And so I think it maybe has a shot at regaining 170 and holding it. But if the markets start to sell off, then this thing will find its way down to 160. And I think at 160, if you look at the meat at 170, there's this price action, there's this, there's this, that's it. But you look at this, this is a lot more meat, which means that it's going to have a lot more options, contracts, and a lot more open interest in this 160 zone. And so for me, from medium term, from a long term perspective, 
I really like getting long at 160. I kind of hope Apple does sell off a little bit. And then I want it to get down that 160 because I think at 160, it's a fantastic price, medium long term. Maybe there's some short term, you know, day trades off of that or bounce off 160 or something like that. But from a, you know, one month out, three month out perspective, or even an entire year out, if you were to ask me, does Apple close above 160 next year? I would say it's a high probability that it does. So I'm really hoping for this to pull down here and get into this 160. And at that point, I'm going to start getting long. And you're, you're how you say you were getting along with like some monthlies or leaps? I would probably start with monthlies, maybe. Okay. You know, I'd probably start with some monthlies. Um, I would probably do a buy right strategy. So get long shares, sell premium on this. But I would also probably throw in some options, maybe quarterlies, maybe yearlies or something like that as well. I think Apple is in a really good position going forward. If we don't get broad market weakest weakness, if the market doesn't sell off the rest of this you know, month and then start off selling next month and things like that. Like if the market stabilizes, then I think Apple is one of the more favorable stocks out there. It's still close to its all its all time highs. It's showing the the least amount of weakness and the most amount of strength, you know, in comparison to other stocks that are up right now. It's like one of the one of the stalwarts that's still performing well in a market that's been selling off for a couple of weeks now. And that tells me that it's stronger than the rest right now. And so I think they're just in a really good position going forward. So if we get to that 160, I'll be taking, you know, probably a series of plays on Apple's on Apple. That will be short, medium and long term. Got it. And, and then um, I, I think we may have a couple tickers from the chat. Uh, throw some out there. We'll take a look at the option chain. One that we saw earlier we were talking about uh, is Netflix. Yeah, let's take a look. So this okay. is one that I thought was interesting because at one point today, Netflix was actually up about two and a half percent, which was, uh, you know, way outperforming the other FANG stocks. But it, it's since kind of given up a lot of those gains. Okay. All right. Let me just. Um, short term, I think Netflix has resistance right now. So what it did spiked up to 600 and sold off. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm seeing a little bit of resistance on the options front. So. Yeah, and you notice on the five minute, while it was aggressively bought up, it just couldn't maintain those gains and V shaped down. And that's, you know, V shapes are not as common as, you know, uh, more of like multiple touches, second attempt, third attempt, fail, and then sell off. So that tells me that, you know, it could be a liquidity issue. I don't know what the shares is on the day. Shares is decent, it's almost at its 10 day average. It just, uh, it just overshot. It probably ran to dealer hedging requirements, dealers then sold and smacked it back down because this is a decent force on the way down. And so it's unlikely that individual investors were doing that. It's probably more like dealers were coming in selling this back down. I think there's resistance at 600 on the short term. You can kind of see on the one hour chart where this really lines up. So you can definitely see there's definitely some resistance there. Spike high past that. Now, where could I see Netflix starting to get some port looking at options? You know, it starts to get really good between 565 and 550. And then the lower it gets, the harder it's going to have, a, the harder time it's going to have going lower because then it's the dealers are trading against the market. And so let's look at that kind of 565. Yeah, this makes sense. Okay, so here's 565. And then what did I say down to about 525 roughly, which is right around here? So look at all this. Look at all these flows inside here. That's a lot of time 
July, August, September, October, November, a lot of price section. That's going to attract a lot of open interest on the option side from these medium and long-term option players who are going to be bullish on Netflix for a foreseeable time. And so the lower it goes, I was saying the harder it gets for it to kind of, you know, make through there. I think once you start getting in this 570 to 560 range, anything between that and 525 starts to become really good. There's just going to be a lot of open interest there. There's going to be a lot of orders that are going to hold the line there. There's going to be a lot of players that are going to be buying those dips. You know, from a medium long-term perspective, I like Netflix in this zone. I don't want to be buying right now, but as soon as we start getting in that 570s, 560s, then it becomes really attractive to me. So I like Netflix, not at current prices, but very, very soon. Very, very soon. Got it. Um, and then I see in the chat, too, people talking about Boeing. Do we want to check in on Boeing real quick? Mm. I haven't checked in with Boeing in a little bit. Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. So Boeing, prior to today, I haven't looked at today's options. Roughly 780,000 calls and roughly 627,000 puts. You don't have to worry about any short-term expiries. It kind of makes sense. You know, smart option traders really aren't positioning for next week, week after, and things like that. So the biggest option expiry coming up in terms of gamma positioning is the January uh, monthly OPEX, which is the 21st. So we don't have any short-term that we have to worry about. But Boeing, to me, at least for right now, looks like a sell. I'd want to be selling pullbacks, not breakouts. Breakouts really on the downside. I mean, it's been continually tracking lower since March this year. Lower high, lower high, lower low, lower low, lower high, consolidates, lower highs, lower lows. So yeah, we want to be selling Boeing right now. We want to be selling. Where? Right at the monthly view up is a really nice like technical lineup. You have the monthly view up, you have 200. That's, you know, that should act as resistance. Yeah, I would take a pullback to the monthly view up and 200 as an opportunity to sell. Long puts uh, would be fine. Because it's not super volatile to the downside, you may want to consider a bear put spread instead of just long puts. Because if you're just long puts, you're also long volatility. It means you want volatility to expand to continue to help that gamma position work for you. But if the volatility is not expanding, you're going to eat a lot of theta. So to avoid some of that theta decay, you can get long puts right around 200 or just below that to so get long the puts here. And then you can sell some puts lower and that will offset some of the theta decay and then will also offset some of the volatility gains. So then you, you really don't have to worry about volatility too much. You're really just worrying about direction and can you get to your lower strike by the time this closes. I wouldn't, if I was going to be trading Boeing right now, like let's say Boeing does pop back up to 198 today, you know, and it does it correctively or whatever, and it, it looks good for a sell. I would not do short-term options on this. I would do the January OPEX. So that's the 21st. You know, we're just not seeing the short-term options really come in. So you're not going to get those quick flows. And the largest expiry is that January OPEX right now. So that's where all the flows are positioning. That will create a lot of movement as we get closer to that OPEX. And so I like that one right now. But selling close to 200, downside, I think 190 is a good target. And if we lose 190, I think we have room to go down to 180. I think we have room to go down to 180. 
Yeah, and you this know, is I, one of those names, too, that if we get more headlines about, you know, Omicron and, and the new COVID variant, that could also increase volatility and make VIX go up. Um, as a result, Boeing could move down lower, too. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard to say because we could get news saying, you know, everyone's good to travel again in two weeks and, and, and demand for Boeing planes goes back up. I, this is one that I think is like so dependent on the news that we get over the next couple of weeks. Well, let's take a look at that thesis there. You know, you mentioned how many times have we had that, hey, COVID cases aren't so bad, you know, over the last six, seven months. We've had a few of them, but Boeing continues to track lower, which means that, yes, you may get a two-week pop or something like that or a three or four-week pop, but it's not holding the gains. It's continually tracking lower since March this year. And so with that being said, that's why I don't recommend being long volatility, long gamma only like long puts because you're going to eat a lot of theta decay because it is going to seesaw back and forth. And so for something like that, then you definitely want to sell spreads or you want to be getting long puts, but then you want to be selling a certain amount of puts later on. So this way you are not eating a bunch of theta and you're not eating those volatility, the, the low volatility in this here. So got it. Yeah. Yeah. That's that, what I'm that, looking at on that. That makes a lot of sense. And then I, I think we've got time for one more if we run through it uh, in video. Don't we also Lisa have Lee. an announcement, a Benzinga announcement? What'd you say? Don't we have a Benzinga announcement as well, an important one to do with options? I think it's in the I think it's in the stream yard as well. Dude, oh. the 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 options trading school. Yes. The options trading school. <laughs> Check out the link. I don't have my computer on with me right now. If I did I would paste the link in, the, in, in the chat, but I don't have anything way to do that right now. But Benzinga here, uh, AB is going to throw the link in the chat right now. Um, you can just you can click on the link, or you can even just probably just Google Benzinga Options Trading School uh, with Chris Capri. And yes, Chris, do we have any promos? To, to yes, give, to give the people. Yes, I think they have a seventy percent off promo if you click on the link that I put in the. Uh, in the stream yard that you can post everybody. So yes, if you can share that, in fact, I'll just do it right now. Let me just, let me just share with everybody in the thing right now. So they have a 70% off. It also includes a year of Benzinga, Benzinga options school. It also includes a year of Benzinga pro, which is an amazing deal to go with it. So we are, we have, after all these months and all this pining and all this, you know, kind of mentioning it, we have said, Hey, you know, we're going to create a school together that is focused on options. So they created the Benzinga Trading School. We now have one for options. I'm going to be leading that and I'm going to be teaching you how to identify market gamma. How do you identify, identify for net short or long options? How do we trade these? How do we understand dealer and option positioning? What strategies to use? What charts and why? How to understand the Greeks on a more detailed level than you're going to find in you know most books? Really how to become a sophisticated options trader so that you can generate a monthly income. That's that's the goal of this course. And so mm. I'm teaching the same strategies I use. I'm teaching everything that I, you know, like I talk about little bits here and there in these classes and I'm teaching now in this course, all of it. And so it's an amazing opportunity for one year access. We're we'll going over trade ideas every single day. This just, it's super exciting. Imagine this, but way more detailed for like three hours a day, Monday through Thursday, and then office hours on Friday. It's a lot. So super link, exciting. Link is, in chat. link is in description and chat and was on screen just now. 
Uh, if you don't get enough Chris, you can have more. Bam. Yeah, if you're like me, you might need some help with your options trades. Go check that out. Great deal going on right now. And you get some Benzinga Pro action for free. Uh, Chris Capri. I don't know if we'll see you again. You mentioned this will be your last Benzinga yes. show for the year. So, yes. um, you know, we'll see you over on the option school. But until next year, man, it was great having you on the show. Thank you for giving us all your insight. Happy New Year, Chris. Happy New Year. Happy holidays as well. Be safe. Be healthy, everybody. And I will see you guys in 22. Take care, everyone. Yep. All right, guys. That was Chris Capri from Second Skies Trading. Go check out the link in the chat for the Benzinga Option School. Uh, starting right now, we've got Moon or Bus. So Logan and Ryan will be joining us from in the office today. Uh, they're going to be talking to someone from Bacon Protocol. Pretty uh, interesting. I don't interview. even know what that is, but I'm excited for yeah, it. Bacon. I, like, I like bacon. I like protocols. Bacon Protocol. There you go. All right. Without further ado, we're going to go ahead and wrap up here. This stream will automatically redirect you to Moon or Bus. So stick around. Hit the like Bacon button. Protocol coming up now. We'll see you all tomorrow. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today.